Blank check with Griffin and David. Blank check with Griffin and David. Don't know what to say or to expect. All you need to know is that the name of the show is Blank Check. Do not go gentle into that good night. Old age should burn and rave at close of day. Rage, rage against the dying of the podcast. <laughs> Third take, people. Hello, everybody. I'm a very horse griffin human. <laughs> I'm a, a coffee drinking David Sims. This is a podcast called Blank Check with Griffin and David. Uh, we discuss filmographies of directors who have had massive success early on in their careers. Oh, God. No, oh, he's struggling, guys. He is oh, tired. Uh, I am. No one should ever promote a TV show. <laughs> he's a tie tie boy. No one should ever promote a TV show. I'm Joseph Cross from Wide Awake. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is a podcast about filmographies, directors who have had massive success early on in their career and are given a series of blank checks. To make whatever crazy passion projects they want. Sometimes they clear and sometimes they bounce. Baby. And now this is going to be an episode where David talks the entire time. So, um, just let's, we're kind of just a context. So, you, <laughs> <laughs> you're filming a movie right now. I am. Is that, that is that, that's, that we can say that at least. Yeah, yeah we yeah. can say that. Um, which you booked right after making the tick in one of your stupider uh, career up decisions. You know, one of your stupid good decisions. Yes, I made a very bad decision to <laughs> right. continue succeeding. Yeah, you have a very bad decision to take a job that you probably should take, if that makes sense. Yes. It's uh, just a little uh, role or whatever. It's like a, it's like a, but you're making a movie. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, yes. It's not like you're, I mean, he's not the star of a movie as well, but you know, he's making a movie, guys. No, I, I, I booked this like in the last, uh, while doing the last episode of The Tick mm-hmm. and I've been going back and forth between filming this movie right. and doing press. Doing which, press. Which has also required me to fly to different countries. Right. And doing post, uh, production work. Right. And, uh, you're going to go to Australia like I'm tomorrow about or to something. go to Australia. Right. Yeah. I'm burning the candle at like five ends. Yeah. So, right now. um. So my uh, body is just given out. Yeah, my exactly. body is given out. My voice is just uh, quit. Mm-hmm. It is telling me to stop working. But we're here to talk about Interstellar. We got blank check to do. I don't give a shit about any of this. Couldn't push this got- back because I mean, look, I you know I know it might sound like a humble brag. All the talking about how busy I've been, all the mm-hmm. things that are going on in my career. So but but David over here is very busy as well because he's on a two week vacation. I am very pumped up about my vacation now. I'm realizing now as the vacation comes to a close, I've only got a few days left. Okay. Because like after week one of my vacation, when I didn't go back to work for week two, I was like, this is how you do it. You know, you just don't go back. You take, you know, you, you really decompress. Like I went away. I came back to New York. I've chilled out for a few days and going away again. But now I'm realizing next Monday is going to be uh, soul crushing. Yes. Yeah. The, the longer you're away, the worse it is to go back. That's the uh, definitely. It's like a theory of relativity. If I yes. want to tie it into the movie we're about to discuss, right? It's like a time cube. <laughs> um, you got to tap that bookcase, baby. Uh, y- yes, yes. You took a brief intermission from your vacation to record this episode because otherwise we were going to run out of episodes. Otherwise, I would be in bed right now. Yeah, no, no. We it's literally fine. have no other choice but to record right now with my voice sounding that, like it's this. It's literally this was it. Yes, yes. This there was the a lot one of one. Through our window. We, we had all these blackboards and we like wrote all the possibilities or, and it was like, no, we can only do Thursday at 10 a.m. Yes. Michael yes. Kane was lying on the bed dying, <laughs> telling us 
you can't record. You uh, will have to miss a week. So we and had we to figured it out. Revive you from hypersleep and like pull yes. the like cord off of your saran wrap and like you know you started crying when we lifted you out all wet and I sad. did and you didn't know I was going to be in the bag because I was uncredited. It wasn't <laughs> in any of the marketing materials. Oh boy! But it was announced, but everyone forgot. Yeah, because the thing about Damon in this movie, right? It was announced, but weirdly like i yeah, feel it was like just the, sort of in the announcement like matt damon's in it yes yeah right and then he wasn't in any of the marketing and then when he was doing press for other movies he'd be like i just have a small part i just did it because i want to work with nolan so right. i went into it thinking he was gonna have like a burst in size role uh, sure 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 you mean thought, he'd be the linchpin of the movie i thought he was gonna be the comic relief sure i mean he's I well, that's so funny in the Martian. that's what i mean <laughs> That is our finest comedy. This is a year before The Martian. So he was actually probably just like trying to limber up his like comedy, you know, muscles. Look, he went to his agent in 2012, right? And he said, it's time for a career invention. You know what's funny? Space. <laughs> he said, look, I, I need to rebrand myself. Jason Bourne has run a little dry. Sure, I don't sure, want to sure. have to tap that well again, right? Yep, he yep. made the mistake later. Yeah. But he said, here's what I want to do. I want to going forward only make movies where I'm alone, secluded on a foreign planet, and Jessica Chastain is vaguely trying to rescue me. <laughs> and he made two, and then they were like, we're out. There are no more yeah, scripts. This is tough. You yeah. know, come on. Jessica wants to do something else. She's sick of rescuing you. Sort of. <laughs> sort of. of. It's, a little, it's a little bit of a stretch. But, I mean, look, she's in both movies. Which is crazy. It is crazy when it's you crazy. think about and it. And these are two successive years. It's 2000, and they are the only movies he was in. He was only in Interstellar in 2014, and he was only in uh, The Martian in 2015. Yeah, it was part of his comedy rebranding. Uh, and then God, the right? Martian's so funny. Uh, he so, makes it, look, food out thing, of poo-poo. Because this is, I'm sorry, The Monuments Men's also 2014. Hey. Remember? Yeah, no, I remember. He poops into a potato or whatever he does, and you see the whole thing. And yeah, you're that's like, what happens. He carves a hole into a potato, <laughs> and then he poops. He yeah. squeezes his poop into the little hole in the potato. And Ridley Scott then like walks on set, and he was like, you have to see it. You got to see it. And then he like leads Matt Damon over to a console, and he's like, let's edit the footage now. <laughs> And you watch them edit. And yeah, the Golden I, Globes just hurl their globes at the screen. I always thought it was a weird choice for Ridley Scott to edit the HBO first look of The Martian into The Martian. <laughs> and not even like at the end. It just happens in the middle. It like interrupts the movie. Oh, Usually boy. he saves that for the director's cut, you know? What a great opening to our episode about my favorite Christopher Nolan movie. Is this your favorite movie of this decade? It is my favorite movie of this decade. Wow. Uh, I thought about that when I was watching it for this podcast, which is probably like my eighth viewing of it or something, okay. like something around there. It's a main series called The Pod Night Cast. It's the film of Christopher Nolan. <laughs> forgot about that part. I forgot about everything. Yeah. <laughs> um... And I was sort of like going through like my other like very top films of the like 2010s. Mm. And I was like, yeah, no, 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 Interstellar. And then I posted that on Letterboxd, I think. And a mm. lot of people told me that I was stupid. Yeah, you got some. <laughs> you're really griffing it up today. You're well, like, uh, you know, yeah. I got to be the grump and you're really, yeah, you're good. You're a good grump. Um, What was I going to say? What's your number two? That's a good question. If I, 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 I mean, did you make a letterbox list that was ranked? of like the the twenty teens? Yes. Uh, I don't know what my number two would be. Like at first thought, it okay. would. I'm just sort of looking at like the various movies I've like ranked number one. Margaret, probably Margaret. Yeah, I was gonna say because that's probably my, Margaret. That's my favorite of the decade. That's mine yeah. with a bullet. A bullet. A bullet. Uh, social net. 
Good movie. Would be up there. Good movie. Uh, Holy Motors. Good movie. Wind Rises. Never seen it. Oh, you should see it. I know you're not really a Ghibli guy, but uh, it's it's a uh, a mountain nice I still have to climb. Uh, yeah, getting getting into Ghibli. Um, it's, uh, to me, the great mountain to climb. That's like the most whimsical mountain you could climb. It's a very whimsical mountain. <laughs> like every five minutes, there's a goddamn lantern with a foot that, yeah. like, you know, shakes your hand or whatever. And the mountain tells you about its dreams. <laughs> yeah, it sounds it's great. Um, so okay, so, uh, but I do love this movie, Interstellar. Yeah. Uh, his last movie before his current movie that's uh, out in theaters right now. Uh, y- yes. <laughs> <laughs> it came out uh, in October. No, November. November, November 5th. November. 2014. Because it got that big Thanksgiving bump. When people... Yeah, it made actually like a surprising amount of money. Because when it came out, the opening was considered kind of disappointing. Right, people, people were like, like oh, And the reviews were mixed, so people yes. were like, oh, he swung and missed again, yeah. And then it I mean, ended up... Dark it ended up doing dollars. kind of a crazy number for what this movie is. Because I was talking to someone to yesterday about how Dunkirk is doing so well, and they were like, yeah. really? It's not made anything close to what Interstellar made. And I was like, huh? And I checked, and I was like, right, it also made... a." ton of money uh internationally yes. like and uh so yeah interstellar was actually kind of a hit weirdly uh, yeah. yeah even though i feel like the initial perception of it was yeah a little bit of a disappointment but he was coming off of three consecutive movies that ranked in that were, the top right. 10 movies that studio had ever made crazy crazy hits yes. just next level hit so i think it was always going to be seen as a disappointment uh compared to those yeah um, and the opening was small for what it was. The opening was small. It got beaten out by a movie that I won't say yet. Cause I don't want to ruin the box office game. Oh, please don't. Yeah. 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 Of course. Um, and, but and, then, yeah, but, but then it, it was, lingered it was and multiplied. It was a dad movie. You know, much like Dunkirk. Cause I think Dunkirk's going to just keep chugging along for a while. It was one of those I movies, so you know, the magic of a dad movie is the dad doesn't know from opening weekends. He's just like going to want to see it eventually. Yes. Like, you know, and I saw this movie uh, at a press screening, obviously, but then I, the second time I saw it was at Thanksgiving with my like uncle, you know, like uh, that was uh, the experience. Um, I saw, I saw it opening night. Midnight. Midnight. Lincoln Square. Like actual midnight? IMAX. Actual midnight. Right. Actual fucking real deal big boy and, midnight. Uh, that's fine because you probably you got home like one thirty, right? This is a very short movie. <laughs> <laughs> this is his longest movie, to be clear. It's I, two hours and 49 minutes long. I just remember like going to get a slice of pizza after the movie because I was hungry. And, and, like it must have been like three in the morning. That was the thing. I was like eating my pizza. I was like taking my time. And then I checked my watch and it was like four o'clock in the morning. <laughs> I was like, Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> Why'd you see it at midnight? Why not at like 7 p.m. or whatever? I think the other ones were sold out. Right. I, right, I right. want to see it. I saw it with Derek Simon, my, uh, my best friend, my oldest friend. Derek Simon, who just has these great dogs I look at on Instagram all He's day. He's got now. a great dog. Yeah. Uh, President Bartlett. Uh, yes. Is his yes, dog's name. Yes. Uh, my oldest uh, childhood friend and a, a current writer of uh, Supergirl. That's right. Uh, we used to, uh, we went to summer camp together. Mm-hmm. When we, we were nine, we went to an arts stuff. camp. We used to touch dicks and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we were nine and we went to an arts camp. And we were like the indoor kids at the arts camp. Sure, right. So Even at the arts camp, uh, yeah, right. They had a required time where you had to go swimming. Mm-hmm. And he and I became friends because we both ran the same con, which was uh, we would, f- quote unquote, forget to pack a swimsuit every day uh-huh. so that they couldn't make us swim. Right. And so what they did was they made us stay on the other side of a fence because they were like, well, if you can't come swimming, then you're not even allowed into the general area. Right. So we literally sat in this dirt outside of a fence 
and traded X Men cards and talked about comic books, and now and now he writes Supergirl and I'm Arthur on the tech. Uh, you guys are both so handsome, though. Oh, get out of here! Yeah, it's true. Derek's very handsome. Uh, you're very handsome too. Um, um so but, you saw it with Dirk, right? Who, uh, you know, uh, Dark Knight fanatic. Okay, the, specifically the Dark Knight. Nolan fan, I think in general, I think he would identify as a Nolan fan, but mm. Dark Knight was was kind of a big watershed movie for him, mm-hmm. and I think he saw it 10 times in theaters. That's crazy. That's too many times to see a movie in theaters. I went with him like two of the times, I think. I mean, two's fine. Yeah. Two sounds good. Two's close. I probably saw Toy Story 3 10 times in theaters. I don't know why I am shocked by that news or upset about it, but I am both. I lost count at a certain point, but it, so it definitely was at least eight times in theater. I have seen Toy Story 3 once and then like maybe like another 40 minutes of it total on TV. Like if you sort of aggregate all the minutes together. Right. So I've seen it that time that you saw it plus <laughs> another 20. Uh, so you saw it at the AMC Lincoln Square, the the, the New right. York's uh, actual IMAX saw theater, it, which is yes. colossal, right? Which is huge. Uh, I saw it at a press screening there, okay. uh, it, an empty press screening. It was literally like me, Richard Lawson, Katie Rich, friends of the show, friends of the show, who we were all sitting in the back row, which is where I like to sit in that fucking theater. And like it was I go like for the middle, baby. Well, that's where Mr. Nolan sits. I was told they call me Patricia Heaton because I'm in the middle. <laughs> 15 right. comedy points yeah, that was for too good. me. <laughs> uh, that was so good. You get to give yourself the comedy points. And then um, I give myself five comedy points for giving myself 15 comedy points. Bingo. That wasn't a bad bit. <laughs> no, it was good. Not it was all bit. good. Uh, it was literally like six people. For some reason, okay. I talked my way into like the earliest screening of Interstellar. I don't know how. And it was awesome. And I had a great time. Uh, I was completely overwhelmed by it. You loved it right out the gate. Uh, loved it right out of the gate. But also, like, in IMAX, it is staggering. Like, just uh, the yes. space photography, like, the yes. size of it. Yes. And I remember being very overwhelmed, like, literally, like, my stomach dropping out of my body. You know, like, that's sort of, like, <gasps> feeling a lot. And then I walked out, and Richard and Katie were like, eh. <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah, no, I think I liked it. So I similarly, I saw it with Derek. We were both very, very excited to see it. And then... The second we walked out, it's a thing. Derek and I share opinions on a lot of things. Mm-hmm. There's certain things that are more on the Griff spectrum. There's certain things sure, that are more sure, in the Derek sure. spectrum where you have a lot of commonalities, but then there are the further reaches. Right. And a lot of times I've gone to go see a movie with Derek opening night that we're both really excited for. Uh-huh. And we walk out and one of us is like, that's a masterpiece. And the other one's like, this is not my kind of thing. Okay. You know? Like anything in particular? Give me an example. Um, like I think his favorite movie of the decade is Take Shelter. Yeah, I think we're on the same spectrum. Right, with that and he one. walked out to take shelter and was like, holy shit. And I was like, I thought that was solid. Yeah, sure. You know? Yeah, I agree. Um, but I remember taking him to see Synecdoche, mm. and I was like, this is my fucking movie. And he was like, not my kind of thing. Yeah, right, right, right. You Where know? It's not like you didn't like it exactly. It's more like, yeah, well, I see the the, the, the artistry totally. here, but not right. my thing. Right, right. We have that kind of thing, you yeah. know? It's very rare that one of us will, like, hate a movie that the other yeah, loves. Yeah, no, I get it, I get it. But, um... This was a weird example of he walked out and was like, yeah, not my kind of movie. And I was like, I think I like it. Like, I wasn't fully standing for it. Yeah, I was very sure that I liked it. Definitely understood that the last hour was going to throw a lot of people off the train, essentially. Sure. You know, like a lot of people who had maybe been enjoying the movie would be like, fuck that. Ah, no, 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 no. And definitely understood that it's, it was very Nolan-y. 
Yes. So anyone who had like the traditional Nolan issues would be like, well, this is this is almost like a, like it's all of it inflated, right? It's like sort of maximized. Y- yes. So, this feels like his most Nolan-y movie in a lot of I mean, ways. it's literally I mean, we'll get into it. <laughs> um, but uh uh, but I, I really liked it. And I to in Katie and Richard's defense, I think both of them eventually sort of have come around more to it. I don't know if they think it's as good as I think it is. Sure. But, uh they I think they both told me that like on second viewing they were like more dialed into the movie. In it general. is a movie that I think has weirdly kind of grown since it came out. I mean the people mm-hmm. who don't like it stick with not liking it. Yeah, yeah. It's not like it's become a masterpiece uh, universally no. regarded or anything, but yeah. But but I see a lot on film Twitter. The, the take of, like, I can't believe I gave, I wrote off Interstellar as this when I saw it. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I kind of can't believe it either. I, I think now, I so I hadn't seen it in full since I saw it in theaters. Uh, oh, wow. Okay. Um, okay. I, okay. Uh, you know, can't uh, sleep at night ever. Mm-hmm. Congrats Thank on you. that. Uh, so I, I watch stuff when I'm trying to fall asleep. Sure. And I have a couple times said, you know, it was on like Amazon Prime, a great video service. Oh, yeah. Uh, very good. Mm-hmm. Really Streaming. good company. Good company. Uh, good bit rate. Um, good bit? Good bit rate. Are they pro bits? Pro bit rate. Uh, no smit rate. <laughs> They're the opposite of us. Yeah. Um, but I would throw it on sometimes. But the first hour of that movie, I will say is uh, calming in a way that actually would put me to sleep. No, I was about to say, I could almost see, I find this movie incredibly soothing. I do too. Uh, And the first hour is definitely the most soothing because it's like farms and the music is very quiet and choral. And I said, you know, know, when we did our mailbag episode and people asked what our comfort food movies were, I said that I weirdly fall asleep to the master Mm -hmm, a lot. mm -hmm. And this has that same kind of like Hoyt Van Hoytema, long shot, very like in control, masterful actors having like low volume conversations, mm-hmm. you know, the same sort of like kind of music temperature. Um, it's like your ASMR, basically. Correct. Mm-hmm. Right. Hoyt Van Hoytema movies are my ASMR. Well, he's, I mean, if he was going to replace Wally Fister, he got a good guy. Yes. Uh, there was a point in time when I thought I had found my new thing that, that helped me go to sleep. Uh, which was uh, ASMR videos where people go through their Criterion collections. Oh, that sounds nice. It's so good, and there are only like four of them. Yeah, like I ran out. You've run out, right? Um, they're so good. Mm. Also, like two of them were like the girls, like these actually aren't my DVDs; they're my boyfriends. <laughs> so she's like going through the movies, but she hasn't seen any of them, uh-huh, uh-huh. which is kind of annoying. Where she was like, "This looks very artistic. It looks like they're good supplements." It just annoyed me because in the same video, she puts in some things that aren't Criterion. <laughs> it's like very clear that it's not her collection. I'm only talking about one. It's one specific. What is it? I really have to know. And she Is she, it Be Cool? <laughs> I'm trying to think of the least Criterion movie. <laughs> I know, is I, it National Lampoon's Loaded Weapon 1? I, I, remember, <laughs> I remember. The one I remember her including is a, a steel book of The Big Lebowski. Sure, right, right. Like Criterion would ever release a steel book. (laughs) (laughs) I just imagine you like uh, jerking off watching this and then being like, you know, like, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just trying to sleep. Oh, boy. No, I'm like, I'm like Detective Dormer. (laughs) 
It's like, no, I'm it's taping like, cushions to the window and watching Criterion <laughs> ASMR and I'm just trying to sleep. I'm so tired. I've been working since February and you're no a tired one will let boy. me sleep. You're a tie tie boy. Uh, but you know how people like, you like jerk off to your appearance in, uh, what's it called? Um, That's not true. Fort Tilden. That is not and they, true. And they cover your face. You oh, how cover, people do that. Yeah, I yeah, don't yeah. do that. No, Other you don't do that. that. No, I'm saying you made the joke about this right, once in the right. That People I, have to masturbate you, to me because I'm nudity but adjacent. But they, they like cover, they put their hand on yeah. over you. You cover the steel book of the Big Lebowski with your palm. That was my bit. Great bit. Thank, Thank you. you. Half a comic book. Yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> it was a little sweaty in, in delivery. <laughs> well, you argued with me through the bit. I did. I'm still, I'm still riled. I'm riled. I'm tired and I'm riled. So I, I've rewatched the first 30 You're minutes to an Sorry. hour. Thank you. So you've rewatched, right, the beginning of the movie a lot. A couple times. Uh-huh. Okay. A couple times in the last year, I'd say. Two or three times I've tried because I, I never want to like, oh, I fall asleep watching it last night. Let me pick up where I left off. I felt like I had to watch the whole thing from beginning to end. It's a very rewarding experience if you uh, watch the whole I, thing. I think it's a yeah. movie about... It's a movie about time, obviously, and Christopher Nolan is obsessed with time. But it also is, there's just something about sticking in it and riding it through, you know? So I, sure. I always would restart it. I'd never made it through to the end since it came out in theaters until last night. Okay. I watched it after the premiere. Are you crazy? I'm a lunatic. I almost texted you on, like, Sunday or Monday to say, like, Griffin, watch Interstellar, like, today. Yeah, like, watch really, it as soon as you can. really should have done that. Uh, because it's very long, yeah. and I just want you to have seen the movie and not be faced with, like, having to fucking watch it, you know, yeah. at the last minute. I but really wish you had done that, I put my, my phone, I was like, I can't run his life for him. Like, I feel like I bother him too much. Uh, I put my you phone should away. run my life. <laughs> yes. My life is in shambles. <laughs> you should have tapped on those books on the bookcase and sent me a message <laughs> yeah. to watch Interstellar last Saturday. Yeah. <laughs> David... <laughs> I'm like making dust uh, binary or whatever. Okay, so for the listener at home, <laughs> that is ostensibly what David's doing. Yeah. But the way he's acting it out is like, it looks like you're fencing. There's something very regal. You like have. It's, it's just funny in the Tesseract when he does that, where he's like, God, what do I do? Bang the books. Okay. Oh. And he has to like reach over and make with his hand these, these dust things. Uh, which is the beginning of the movie. Exactly. We can it's dive right in. on the bookshelf. It's the bookshelf, uh, and the dust is gathering. It's sort of floating down. You've heard about ghosts in the shell. What about ghosts in the shelf? You know what? He actually just nailed the whole plot of Interstellar right there. Ghost in the shelf. That's what it is. I nailed it. Yeah. Hey, hey Ben, you didn't introduce Ben. Do you not want to? Are you that tired? A little bit. <laughs> I kept on. I was like, "Am I? Do I have the energy yet to like?" All right. Um, I'm afraid I'm gonna like start driving up and then and then lose energy and then have to recede down the incline. Producer Ben, hi. Are you hey, producer Ben? Oh, here we go. Ben, oh, oh, okay. Poet laureate. Yes. The fuck master. Yeah. Pause. What's up, Mister Positive? Mm. Dirt by Penny. Soaking my penny. And speaking of dirt, this is a dirty ass movie. This is a dirty <laughs> ass a movie, point. and I, it's a wet movie. It's wet. It's. I mean, all right. Here's I a mean, new thing. I wrote this. I like a good dirty actor. I like you when wrote actors that down. have to it's get underlined. dirty. It's underlined. It's underlined because 
Because, you know, like they're like on set dirty as hell all day. That's, <laughs> That's so That's true. Fun. You have it's to be so dirty. For me. Right. Yeah. And it's like sometimes even it's like, let's get some more dirt back yeah, on yeah. him. Like, oh, can we get the slough. dirt boy out? All right, dirt boy. <laughs> and then Ben comes out. He's in like a giant hamster wheel. <laughs> <laughs> Let dirt boy out. He's like. <laughs> there, there's uh, a, a character uh, in the tick. It's not a spoiler because she's one of the main characters. Well, also, this will probably be posting after the tick is online. It will. Mm-hmm. I hope you all like it. Mm. Um, but uh, th- this character, Miss Lint, who's one of the main villains. Uh, yes. Who has, like, uh, electric powers. Uh-huh. That's okay. a side effect of that. She has this, like, static electricity sort of, like, down effect when she's not powered on. Okay. So lint, all this lint it. constantly right. sticks to her. Right. So on set, they just have like a bag of dryer lint and in between takes, they just have to like put lint all over her face. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's great. It was just great to watch like a makeup person come in and just apply like just sprinkle lint. Um, uh, ben is our finest film critic. He is. Yeah. And he loves this movie. He loves this movie. Which gives it a lot of credibility in my eyes. Mine too, yeah. And of course, he's graduated to certain tales with the course of different main series, such as Kylo Ben, Pierce, Ben Kenobi, Ben Ajalon, Ben, so it's a Ben anything, Ailey Ben's with a dollar sign of Warhouse. Good job. Great. Uh, he's going to need a new Nolan name, uh, and I'm still into producer Bane more than any of the other ones. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think what? The ones I'm hearing the most are Mabento. Yeah. Producer Bane. Right. Uh, Hazel Ghoul. Uh, terrific. And then someone threw out for this for this movie, Ben Durance. Yeah, I love that, but that's pretty uh um, No one's gonna fucking get it. Yeah, that. exactly. That, that that's pretty obscure. Yeah. Uh but uh I mean he is he has endured a lot from us. He has endured a lot. Oh yeah. my god. Yeah. Um And he Ben Septed us. He did. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> so this movie uh, but Ben was texting us very excited yesterday about how much he loved this movie you had yes. never seen it before I'd never seen it you it skipped was, it in the theater yeah but it was so good uh, I got I got very emotional at the end of the movie uh, I loved it I like space movies Me I like too. movies about time yep and this was a movie where you know a little confusing yeah but sure. I, it, it, it pays dense. off at the end. I will say the first time I saw it was in IMAX and it had the classic IMAX problems where like some of the dialogue drops out in weird ways. And when there's a lot of action going on, you're kind of like, what are they saying? And, you know, yeah. this is a movie. It's not again, not like Dunkirk, you know, they say things that are important. A lot of talking. Uh, so, you know, and then I saw it a second time and it definitely helped clarify things okay. for me. Uh, I'll say. Uh, right off the bat, because mm-hmm. now we're going to dig into the movie. Yeah. Here's my thing with it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I agree with what Ben just said. I fucking love movies about space. I love movies about time. Two of my favorite subjects, right? Space and time, baby. Love them. Einstein, he put them together. He put them together. Yep. Doctor Who? Doctor me. I'm the one who loves space and time. Oh. Okay, good. Thank oh. you. Thank uh, you for that. No, no. You're welcome. Um, I have... Always, and by always, I mean the two times I've watched it in full, uh-huh. had a very hard time connecting to this movie emotionally. Interesting. And I know sure. the people who love it. Mm-hmm. I think, you, you, I mean, other people feel the same agreed. way as you. Right? Agreed. Yeah, yeah. But the people who love this movie are like, who hits me like a ton of bricks. When it fucking pays out at the end, 
oh boy, I was inconsolable. I'm definitely right there. It yeah. crushed me. And I sit there watching this movie and I go like, I love a lot of what's fucking happening here. But your problem is... I, I, it doesn't break through like, for me. Do you see like the bricks land, but they just don't land on you? Yes. Right, right. It's sort of like, and you're like, there are the bricks. And there's right. like some brick dust on you maybe? It still mostly exists as like an intellectual exercise for me when I'm watching this movie. That's fair. Which is frustrating because just... I want to be very emotionally affected by it. I find the concept of the movie very emotionally affecting. And when I saw the trailer, I was like, oh shit, this is going to destroy me. Right, 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 right. Like I remember choking up at the trailer and I was like, oh my God, it's about a dad You've... being trapped, like trying to get back to You've his daughter. You've already said on the podcast how much you love the promotional like stuff for this movie. Like you love the trailers. And yeah, stuff. I thought I think the trailers for this movie were masterful. Uh, Yeah. And, and fall into that category of trailers that I consider to work on their own as fully functional short films. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like, I, I think that trailer has an arc to it mm -hmm. and tells a really complete story. I should rewatch it. The, my Twitter avatar, uh -huh. uh, which is sort of a picture of me with like, it looks like I have my head in my hands. Celebrating. It's, <laughs> it's actually me watching the Interstellar trailer really? when it posted, the day it posted. Oh, because I worked at The Wire and Joe Reed, uh, past and future guest, mm -hmm. who used to sit across from me, took a picture of me because I was obviously so like lost in the trailer. It looks like you're having a nervous breakdown. It looks like I'm freaking out. I'm not. I think I'm actually just sort of like uh, concentrating and sort of blocking out a little bit of light around my <laughs> eyes so I can see it a little better. Yeah. The dying of the light. Yeah. Uh, exactly. Rage. 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 She was only 19 years old. Um, she was only a podcast. <laughs> so um, this is not like a Matrix Reloaded where I have some like like thought through, you know, okay. like theory of You're the movie or something. Password. Exactly. Well, that was good, though. And I did that, right? Uh, yeah. You was yeah. a login screen, baby. Yeah, you fucking killed it. <laughs> Sarah's a login screen. I love that idea. Someone's like, I hate the Matrix Reloaded. And I'm like, I turn in my chair and I'm like, Seraph's login screen. And they're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> they like turn into green code. Do you know? Do you remember what my reaction was when you said that on the podcast? I just remember you getting very excited. I, I, I don't remember. Yeah. I believe it was a frustrated excitement where I went like, oh, God. Yeah, right. Exactly. You were like, no, I already like it more. Oh, no. Oh, that's good. It's working. <laughs> right. Exactly. Like I injected something into you. You're like, I can feel it. <laughs> it's like fire in my veins. Also, all those keys. Oh, so many keys. A lot of keys. That's Ben's finest moment. Uh, that is, I believe, when we named him the finest film critic, actually. Yeah. yeah. Okay, uh, but take us through the movie. David, right. it starts on a shelf. It starts on a <laughs> shelf. Uh, so, no, no, I was just going to finish, but like, this isn't, I just love this movie. Yes. Uh, very deeply. Like, that's mostly what it is. It's more okay. of a Jerry Maguire. Okay. Where someone's like, if someone's like, I don't like this scene, and I'm like, oh, but that scene's great. All of the scenes are great. Sure. Shit's great. You don't Everyone's gotta, you great. You don't got to take. You Not just really. Love I mean, it. I just definitely you're jamming on this. Movie. I think I know what he's going for. Like, sure. I have a take on like the themes he's like plumbing and all that. But like, yeah. But like, it's not like I have some radical take. And I also mm -hmm. just like, it's really a movie for me because it is about space. I love space movies. It's my kind of space movie. It's, it's it looks so good. It has it a robot so called good. TARS. Ugh, it does have a robot. It has a wormhole called TARS. Wormhole. Yeah. Uh, it's got three different planets that they go to, which is like my favorite shit in the world is the like thinking about how planets would work. Like, sure. Uh, I love it. You know who uh, doesn't get enough credit? 
Case. Uh, Case is good too. I feel like everyone always talks about this movie. Like Case and Tars, they both do a lot of work. Weird brick robot. But you know, Tars goes into the wormhole. I mean, to the black hole. Tars is a hero. He also saves uh, Brand. Yeah, from he the does. water. He does. He does. Does he? Or is yeah. that Case? I thought that was Tars. I can't remember. That's the thing. Like Case is definitely doing shit too. Yeah. I mean, you do think that all brick robots look the same. I mean, they are basically designed to. Uh, anyway. Starts on a shelf. Starts with a... Um, Hans Zimmer, greatest score he's ever done, in my opinion. I, I kind of agree. Uh, right up there with what my other option would be, which is the Thin Red Line, which I think mm -hmm. is like a perfect score as well. Apparently, Nolan went to him and gave him like a series of restrictions, right? No, well, the story I've been told or read is like he went to him and the movie wasn't he certainly didn't show him any of the movie. He, uh -huh. he gave him like these pages that was like about the emotional themes of the movie, essentially about the father's daughter okay. shit. And he was like, I want you to read this and I want you to like write some music about it. And he came up with a, like the, a lot of the main themes and Nolan was like, perfect. Like great. Start from there and just keep going. I just remember hearing, and I don't remember where I heard this. I think it was an interview with Zimmer where he said that Nolan came to him and he said like, I want to, Avoid the typical sound that a score for a movie like this yes, would have. Yes, that right. So he asked him not to use movie. like string sections. Yes, you're right. Uh, yeah, he didn't want strings. He didn't want like big drums. Right. You know, because he knows he's making a 2001 right. kind of movie. But that's what's sort of immediately because the um, trailers used uh, Dario Marinelli's score from V for Vendetta. Interesting. Okay, Which is a really sure. excellent score, but right. it's a very emotional, traditional kind right. of swelling, mm. uprising. Orchestral score. Yes. 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 A beautiful score. Very underrated score. Um, but uh, immediately when this movie started and then it has this weird, like, Hans Zimmer haunted organ music. Yeah. That feels like it's like what what fucking the abominable Doctor Phoebes would play when like Absolutely. bringing people into his lair. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, this is strange. Like this very is very melancholy. Yes, organ. Yes, a lot of organs. Right, which is a very different sound than you're expecting to hear yes. in this movie. It is, yeah. and then when the movie when the score is more up tempo, it's this sort of like clanging loud organ right. that's incredibly repetitive. It sounds like a panic attack, uh, which is amazing. Yeah. Uh, and the score is also very useful in like the movie's like most quietly audacious thing, which is just when McConaughey leaves the farm and you're just you're on his face crying, <sighs> yeah. and the score's going wild. Yeah. Uh, I think it's called "Stay" is the track, on okay. the, and uh, and then you cut right from that right to the rocket launching. No explanation of like anything else. Like, there's no more, like, building the team or, you know, how, like, them talking about, like, what will we do? It's just right to the rocket launch. Well, and that's... A because big, he's made the decision to sure. leave. So he's like, we're leaving. But also a big element of this movie that we have to discuss, which is one of the most audacious things, is silent space. Yeah, he does that, uh, which is great. Which Gravity, which should come out a year before, also, I believe, in, uh, doesn't, I don't believe, I know, embraced, uh, you know, there's no sound in space. Sure. Right? Uh, and, of, and the first time I really remember that happening was in, um, well, is it in 2001? I mean, 2001 so music heavy. Right. That's the thing. I mean, it's not yeah. just that he doesn't have sound effects. It's the fact that he has these stretches, these long extended shots where you're seeing crazy things happening. There are no sound effects and there's no music and there's no dialogue. 
Um, right. That it's just a stunning amount of silence for a movie, especially when you're in like a fucking IMAX theater and you're used to all yes. the bombast. It's very overwhelming. And suddenly it was just like, you know, an image that looks like it's out of a planetarium documentary, yes. but in the context of a narrative feature. Yes. Yes. It's very powerful. Right. And you're not hearing the sort of like, Anything, 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 any anything. kind of engine noise, or as you shouldn't, right. because there's nothing in space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And seeing it at midnight screening with a bunch of, you know, it was uh, the audience mostly Nolan Bros. Mm-hmm. Like a pin could have dropped because everyone was just like, yeah. what the fuck is this So I, I should say it actually. You, I, I think Ben has something to say. He's I sticking just, up his I, finger. I just had a question. Is this the start of spinning in space? <laughs> what do you mean? Please well, just explain. Uh, I, I don't know. Griffin, so, Griffin died. So like, <laughs> that one killed him. So you know how, like, <laughs> Uh, now, Welcome to Blank Check with David. Now, <laughs> now ships they spin sure. so that you can uh, have gravity. Yeah, it's a theoretical concept. Is that the, is no this way to the do start that, here yeah. though? Uh, no, uh, Sunshine has the same idea oh, yeah. okay. of spinning to create like G forces enough, strong enough that you could walk. There's no actual like that's, not that's a theory. Thing. Like that's that, all, no one's ever pulled that off. But it's spinning in space is now a thing. Love to spin. It's all, all of them are going to have spinning now. Spin time. I guess so. This is amazing. I mean, what am I supposed to do? I just want to cry. Just enjoy. Just yeah, cry. Exactly. Just enjoy. I just, no, I just I had that thought about it. I can't think of anything. spinning in space now. I can't think of anything else. Oh, you know what? Armageddon actually has a spinning in space concept when they land on the Russian space station with Peter Stormare. Okay. And he's like, yes, I will now do spinning. Because they obviously they're just like, we can't fucking do 20 minutes of the movie in zero G. Like well, 2001 has the spinning wheel as yep. well, but yep. it's, it's yeah, but a, he's obviously like a different running. kind of. Running. Right. But now it's all that. Yeah. Spinning. Yeah. Spinning. A lot of space movies. Um, so Earth is having a, a Dust Bowl crisis. Right after the shelf, we see these. Uh, images from uh, the Ken Burns documentary, The Dust Bowl. Yeah. Uh, right from it, except for the interview with Ellen Burstyn. Yeah. Uh, where they're talking just about how the Dust Bowl worked, where right. there was a lot of dust. Right. Uh, and the crops were failing. Right. It's weird because, like, Nolan's kind of, it feels like he's pulling a Reds. Yeah, sure, sure. Right. Where you're, like, putting a documentary element into a narrative but feature. But it's about the future. Right. But it's about the past. And you can kind of tell, like, the... the Those people are too real to be right. uh, actors, except for Ellen Burstyn. You were right. like, that's Ellen Burstyn. Right. But she's good. I'm not... I mean, she's the she fits in. Agreed yeah. 100%. She's a great actress. She pulls it off. But yeah. you kind of immediately go like, oh, this is weird. He's used footage of people who lived through the real Dust Bowl mm-hmm. and repurposed it as people talking about from the past... Mm-hmm. From the future, yeah, no, right. The events that we're about to see unfold, because what we are actually seeing, and when you're seeing it the first time, you don't even think about this, right? But like, then later you you might realize, like, oh, if they're old, that means we do survive the Dust Bowl because we right. survive it, so that someone can make a documentary about it, right? And what we're seeing is like museum pieces in the future space stations humans are going to live in the replica after escaping house. Earth, yes. right? Right, um, which I love. I love that. Yeah, I do. Uh, I love any, like in AI, I love any movie where there's like monuments to us. Uh, that are, yeah. yeah anyway. um, Blue Fairy. So Earth is failing. This is actually, this is a movie, we'll talk about it, that is a very, was inspired by science. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like it was like Kip Thorne, this physicist, 
wrote like a story treatment for Steven Spielberg. That was the genesis of Interstellar. Right. Hired Jonathan Nolan to write it. Right. Steven Spielberg basically talked to, or whatever, liked this book that Kip Thorne had written. He was like, I want to do a sci-fi movie that's rooted in like actual concepts of astrophysics. Mm -hmm. So yeah, he hires Jonathan Nolan to work with Kip Thorne and I think another, I forget, another scientist. Yeah. And like, like, why don't we do that? Make that real movie. Uh, and Spielberg's got a lot of things in the hopper. So yeah, you this know is it. like in 2008 or seven or something. Sure. It's sort of around yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah. And all we know is like, it's a movie about like black holes. That's right. all that was like really released. But I'm just saying this because the, the crop failure shit, that's actually the yeah. most fanciful part of the movie. Uh, yes. There's no dust bowl that would just ravage earth. Right. I mean that we can conceive of it. Sure. But still, it's a cool idea. It's a cool idea. Uh, he, my favorite, favorite thing about this, and I, I know so much about this fucking movie, yeah. is the he shot the movie in Oregon okay, because he wanted them to plant tons of real cornfields near mountains where none exist because cornfields are all in the flat part of America. But he wanted the extremely strange look of cornfields underneath mountains, which of course is not something any viewer is really going to pick up on. Except maybe quietly, like in the back of their head, you'd think about that. My man planted corn on mountains. Isn't that wild? My man planted <laughs> corn on mountains. Because the idea is that it's the only crop that is surviving in America now is corn. Yeah. Like right. it was someone, some asshole next door tried to make some okra. Now he's got to burn it. Like I, I do love that scene where they have the dinner later in the movie and it's just four different types of corn. Yeah. He's it's like, eat your prepared. fritter. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it's, so, it's great. All so they got depressing. is this gross corn. Um, no, I, what I was getting and at they was. They have popcorn at the ballpark too. Yeah, and John right. Lithgow doesn't like right. it. Yeah. Um, I want a pop, uh, a hot dog. I can't do John Lithgow. My he voice is, is too hard to do, but if you get him right, he's an awesome I feel impression. like I could do it if right. I was batting at full voice. Right. Um, you know how people bat at full voice. Yeah. Um, what I was going to say was just that, yes, the script was developed as a Spielberg movie first. Right. And then it wasn't really going anywhere. No, it, I, I can't remember if Spielberg just had, oh no, it was that Spielberg moved DreamWorks from Paramount to Disney right. and could no longer make it. Correct. That's because what Because this was under Paramount. Right. Interstellar was under Paramount. So so Jonathan was like, Jonah was like, hey, why doesn't, why, don't you want to do it, Chris? Like, and, you can do it. Chris had like crazy blank check stats at this point. For sure. Uh, and could make whatever he wanted and had so much cachet that he was able to go to Paramount and go like, you own the script that I want, but also I'm always rolling with the bros. Yeah, so the bros have to be involved. Yeah, get my bros in here. The Warners. Yeah. So it's a co-production. Um, do you want to know something, though? Yes. In ex Always. In exchange for bringing in the Warner Brothers uh -huh. to co-produce, co-finance this movie. Friday the 13th? Paramount was allowed to co-finance Friday the 13th and have a stake in a future film based on South Park. Oh, right. Bizarre. They thought they were going to make another South Park movie. Yeah. Uh, and also, they agreed to let Paramount co-finance a co-determined A-list Warner's property, which I believe, I, I don't think it's ever happened. Legendary, meanwhile, uh, who has also worked right. with him on the Batman movies. Right, who was at Warner Brothers Forever, now is at Universal. Agreed to forego uh being part of Batman versus Superman in exchange to be part of this. So people really wanted to make this movie. Yeah. They were like, this is Nolan. It finally gets agreed to in 2012, right after Dark Knight Rises, or maybe right before. So they're like, this is Nolan. Inception worked. 
like pushing just, all the right. chips. Making in. Like, an original yeah. Nolan film is now like as big as making a Batman movie. Right. They right. they were just this is the right. hottest thing in the world. This we gotta be thing. part of it. I don't get Batman versus Superman. Fuck it. Who yeah. who are they? I've never heard of them. That deal is so weird because it's like Friday the 13th was paramount for a while. Yeah. And then the franchise went over to New Line, and New Line made like the last four of them. Sure, sure. They're really shitty ones, right? Right. Um, so that was like this weird child that was like split between the two of them. Mm. And then Comedy Central used to be Warner Brothers and Paramount together. And then in the early 2000s, Paramount bought out Warner Brothers at their stake. Right. So like South Park is the other thing that's like split between the it's two. So of them. weird. It's like those are weirdly the two properties that those two studios each have like a stake in. Mm-hmm. So they were like, I don't know what, what what can we do to like make this deal worthwhile? There was for a long time they said they were going to make another Friday the Thirteenth after the last one, mm-hmm. and for whatever reason I was listed on that IMDb for a really long time. There was like Friday. <laughs> I could th- see Jason burying a machete in your face. They had a date because it was linked up to one year where Friday landed. Yeah, on no, 13th. it's always like when's Friday the right. 13th in October. Like, right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think the last remake was like 2009 or 2010 yeah. and then they were going to do one in like 2013 and I was listed. There was no information. There yeah. was no director no, I attached. You. I don't know how that happened because I added All myself right. to the Beverly Hills Cop 4 IMDb page. <laughs> of course, we know this. I listed myself as Axel Foley Jr. because I was trying to will it into existence. But that was me. That was me playing a goof. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, someone else added me for Friday the 13th and it got picked up by other places. For a while, like, people, I get uh, tweets from like horror fans asking me. Like, what's up with Friday the 13th? I was like, I did nothing. I haven't auditioned. I okay. All right. Uh, I'm getting back to the context. Now I'm, re- now I'm barreling through this context. Okay. I love it. Context. So Nolan, Johnny Nolan, Jonah, sure. wrote this screenplay. Chris takes this screenplay throws out most of it, which yeah. is uh, kind of interesting. Yep. But he kept the first 45 minutes to an hour, the Dust Bowl stuff. That interesting. Was, that was the stuff he kept. He changed. that's my favorite section of the movie. Interesting. He changed everything, all the space stuff. I believe you okay. can find the original script. I, I've never read it. Okay. Um, and he saw an early cut of the film Mud, the Jeff Nichols film, mm-hmm. speaking of. Uh and saw Matthew McConaughey in it and thought, this guy's kicking ass in this movie. And that was sort of the beginning of phase two of the McConaissance. Yes. McConaissance had just started percolating. Uh, right, because Magic Mike comes out in 2012, but a little later. Right. I think Lincoln Lawyer isn't as cited enough as... That is the beginning. Right. That's, oh, that's a solid little movie. Right. When it came out, people were like, ugh. And then it came out, like, before it came out, people right. were like, ugh, McConaughey's so fucked right. up. And then they see it, and they're like, oh, actually, you And know. it did surprisingly well. Right. Then it's, then it's the His 2012, Magic like, Mike. supporting role sort of right. renaissance like, thing. Ooh, killed it. Got close to an Oscar nod for Magic Mike. Didn't get it. Mud but, had screened a con, but, like, didn't really blow up there. It wasn't very well received. Jeff Nichols talked about how he got in a got critically trashed and it didn't come out until like a year later. Mm-hmm. But it actually also did surprise me. It was a very well. big hit. Uh, and so, but I just think it's interesting. It's always fascinating to me how the, these things are not, that these trends happen before the movies have even come out. Like, 
Dallas Buyers Club comes out a year before Interstellar, but he cast him a year before it came out. Like, right. but like they just kind of know in Hollywood. Like, well, I just oh, I yeah, remember yeah. I remember uh, reading some interview with Nolan where he said that he went to them and they said, "So who do you want for the lead?" And he said Matthew McConaughey. And they said, "Are you fucking kidding?" Me? Yeah, you're a Christopher Nolan. You can literally get anybody. Why do you want the Ghosts of Girlfriends pass guy? Right, 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 right. And he said, "Like I've seen this movie Mud. I think he's really popping." And then. It's like the one time I've seen Nolan pat himself on the back in an interview right, where he, he was, was like, they thought I was crazy. And now they think I'm really smart that I got them McConaughey before he won the Oscar. Right. Right. Exactly. Uh, he, and this becomes like his like victory lap movie. Like after it is. he's. And this is sort yeah. of the end of the McConaissance, sadly, yes. uh, which I think he's so wonderful in this movie. I think this is kind of secretly his best performance. It is an outstanding performance. It's astonishing. And it's a performance that like, it might be. Yeah. Yeah. Didn't yeah. get any credit at the time because it is not so nearly enough in service of the movie. It's kind of thankless work because like Dallas Buyers Club, he's like giving it his all, but it's a very showy character piece. Yeah. You know, I, I don't care for that movie, but I mean, he's good. I don't it. either. Yeah. I don't like that movie. I think he's very good. In yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, but this is like, he's really just kind of like carrying this movie on his back. And it's a complicated performance that he's doing with like this really bizarre economy. He got to the state where somehow it's like, like, like he found oil in the ground. It's like at some point in 2011, Matthew McConaughey somehow like found an access port to all of the world's emotions. Look, he does some amazing stuff in this movie right? regarding that. Yeah. Right? Like he just sort of like tapped into like all of the emotions. I, and then this yeah. movie is like him trying to figure out how to show as little as possible. That's the thing. Right. But at the same and also not let go of his drawl and his sort of like classic. It's like a real movie star persona. Too. I agree. Like I agree. and he's got the weird physicality. I mean, he's got the weirdest neck in movies. He does have he's he looks always very at strange those odd angles. Mm-hmm. And he was sort of in this weird. He post- looks like Groot. He does. He's very sinewy in this because yep. it was like post Dallas Buyers Club. Like he's got the weight back, but he's but not still quite, kind right. of. Yeah. There's something a little stretched about mm-hmm, him mm-hmm. and but, tight, and he's he's got the bronze skin. Like everything's odd about him. He's, he's tasked with saying a lot of uh, sciencey shit. Yes. Uh, not as much maybe as some of the other characters, but still a lot. And having these conversations with, uh, especially with the astronauts about relativity and stuff, that. Should be bad. There's no like it. Just it just shouldn't work. He shouldn't be suited to it, and he is very natural with all that stuff, which a, is great. Especially, I feel like movie stars with very distinctive personas usually belly flop hard when asked to do that. Right. Like, look at. I know it's a very different movie, but like Mark Wahlberg in The Happening. Sure. You know, you just I mean, go like, "That's yeah. Mark Wahlberg." I don't buy that he's a scientist. That's he literally sounds like Mark Wahlberg. He looks like Mark that's Wahlberg. That's the worst version of it. Right. Right. Yeah. But I feel like I'm not thinking of other examples now, but I feel like there are other examples like that where you just go like his persona is too big to accept him spouting jargon. You know, uh, I do. I and somehow McConaughey's like threading this needle in this movie where he's like doing full McConaughey and also fully disappearing into the tapestry of what the movie's asking him to do. He offered McConaughey the role on the set of True Detective, which he was making. Mm-hmm. Uh, he goes over to Northern Ireland and he offers Jessica Chastain the role on the set of Miss Julie, her uh, her blockbuster hit. <laughs> yes. Uh, right. he, We're going to do Liv Ullman next for Blank Check. Right? <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. He hires Hoyt 
because Wally Fister is busy making transcendence, mm-hmm. uh, he uses even more IMAX than ever before. Hoita figures out a way to like make a mobile IMAX camera, like, and there's those pictures on the Dunkirk set where he's got it on his fucking shoulder, and you're yeah. like, how the hell did he do that? Yeah, it's huge. Yeah, that guy's shoulders must look <laughs> rough. <laughs> he's just he's like um, Freddie Rodriguez in uh, <laughs> Lady in the Water with the one big arm. Uh, yes. And like they figured out how to put an IMAX camera in a Learjet to do aerial photography. They figured out how to do it uh, for interior scenes. It's crazy. Um, they shot in Alberta uh, and Oregon and places like that for the uh, uh, dust bullshit. Mm-hmm. They shot in Iceland mm-hmm. on the glaciers for the glacier planet. And uh, they Iceland shot. Iceland from uh, The Secret Life of Walter Mitty, that country? The weirdest reference you've ever made. Sure. <laughs> and then uh, they filmed in L.A. for a long time. You know, they did uh, studio shit. Okay. Uh, and then the movie came out, and I loved it, and I cried. Anyway, so Dust Bowl. And, and Hathaway, he just said, hey, stick with me, kid. Well, right. She'd been in Dark Knight Rises. He brings her back. Yeah. I guess she's the, I mean, Kane's back. Yes. I think that's it, though. Like, it's actually pretty light for the Nolan players. Well, William Devane, of course, who famously played He's the president back. in The Dark Knight Rises. And now he plays the NASA president yes. or something. This is one of those movies where it's odd how, like, every little two-line part like that is someone. He's someone crazy, like David right. Yellowo or right. whatever. Right, yeah. Which, like, that point when you— uh, Topher Grace. Topher Grace. Topher uh, when uh, they have dinner with the grown-up Casey Affleck and his wife, I'm just like, oh, his wife is just an actress? Right, his wife is pretty much the only person. Right, his wife isn't Angela Lansbury. Like, you're, like, <laughs> ready for, like, everyone in this movie to be someone who's, like, won a Tony, oh, you know? Oh, boy. Yeah, sure. Uh, who plays his wife, actually? I have no idea. Leia Cairns. Uh, okay. But isn't uh-huh. even like the nurse at the end of the movie who lets McConaughey in? She's very familiar. It's I think it's what's her name? I always forget her name. She's such a good actress. Uh who plays the woman who gets kidnapped in Sons of the Lambs. Oh, Lois Smith. Yes, no, it yes. Is. Oh, right, it that, is Lois right, Smith. That, right. She's the nurse who just directs him to Ellen Burstyn's room. Right. There's another nurse character who I was thinking of who's familiar but as that's well. That's what I'm thinking. And it's like Nolan's <laughs> yeah. got so much cachet that he could just be like, Lois Smith, you want to come and you do You want to do literally just like, oh, yeah, it's right over there. Right. Yeah. Why not have every line be delivered by someone who is <laughs> He's highly overqualified? He's almost level where people are like, sure, yeah, I'll do it. Yeah, yes. it's fine. Yeah. Yes. Great, great, yeah. great, great, great. What right. do I do? Great. Yeah. Because so Yellow had kind of already popped at this point. Kind I mean, of. He was building. He's in the middle of popping. He's popping. He's mid because it's the same year as Selma, isn't it? Uh, yeah, Selma right? comes out this yeah. year. Anyway, he'd already reached <sighs> Jack Reach. Yeah, good job. Thank you. I love you. For the listener at home, I was reaching, <laughs> but not jacking. <laughs> All right. oh, David, man. tell them what I'm doing. He's jerking off and reaching. Yeah. <laughs> um, so in this Dust Bowl world, uh, they live on a farm. There's no like armies anymore there's no like technology anymore right, really kind of given up it's basically just like we just got to make food and scratch out and survive because there has been there's these sort of unspecified like references to like wars that happened and are done mm-hmm. and like old countries that kind of just don't even really exist anymore you know yeah. what i mean it's just sort of like and um too much s- dust just a lot of fucking dust. Lot of fucking really dust. dirty. Uh, it's very dirty. And like the uh, schools are mad at McConaughey's character, who is a pilot and engineer who now has to run a farm for like teaching his daughter Murph 
uh, played by who's young Murph. She's so good. It's uh, Mackenzie Foy. Yeah. Yeah. So good. Uh, Excellent. Uh, Teaching her about like the moon landings and shit because the new thing is like, no, no, we didn't even go to space. That was all fake just to gin up money for the Soviets because like it was like propaganda. Right. An awesome scene with David Yellowo and uh, what's your name? Clet Wolf. Yeah. Who's great. Who's such a good actress. Love her. Love her. Um, But the two of them are just like, Oh, you're you're just like bringing in like home run hitters to deliver like a scene of for just sure, like for laying sure. track. She's been great on a, what's it called? You're the worst uh, recently. Oh, anyway, I need to watch that. So good in that. Um, but uh, yeah, I love that notion. I love that notion that America is just kind of like given up, right? And that they've like folded into like, look, it was all lies, like whatever. It's, it's, it's just we can't go there anymore. Yeah, right. But. Uh, there are weird gravitational anomalies happening at their farm mm-hmm. that make dust fall Box. into lines and books fall off the shelf. And uh, Coop, who is McConaughey, mm-hmm. Joseph Cooper is his actual name. No one ever, I don't think anyone. No, calls no one him ever that. calls him Joe. He's Coop. Yeah. Uh, because uh, yeah, Murphy Cooper. More people is call him by his middle name, Robin. <laughs> uh, he's also Timothy Chalamet. Who's going to be a big star this year? Yes, in Call Me by Your Name, right? Yes, uh, he's young Tom. He's the son. Uh-huh. His son likes to farm, but his daughter likes to science. Right, and he doesn't like that they're already writing off his son. They're saying he can't go to college. College is a very selective thing. They don't yeah, want to waste point, the resources. At this point, you don't go to college unless you really have to. Just farm. Right, they yeah. they want everyone to be farming because that's what we need. So unless you are uh, like uh, beyond exceptional, mm-hmm. they could, could just pick up a hoe. Yeah, it's time to farm. Pick up uh, a hoe and hoe those fields. Hoe him away. And then you've got Lithgow. What, what do you do with a hoe? Do you hoe or sow? Right, we got we got rake. We gotta move on. Okay. Lithgow. <laughs> Shut up. It helps break up the dirt. Lithgow. What do you call the is Donald do? oh, hoeing. Hoeing, okay. Donald, who is his father in law. Yes. And his wife is dead, which is delivered in this sort of slightly slightly sweaty, convoluted uh thing where he's like, Well, we used to have MRI and that would have that would have got my wife's cancer. Or whatever, you know. Oh, that we scene. lost it at the end. Yeah, I could, it was it I, was I, good I was, for I, a bit. I'm not trying to do. McConaughey. You were cruising, and then you crashed MRI. back down. MRI. I can say it like you know yeah. what I mean. But you know that scene, yeah, where they're like, "Your son should be a farmer," and he's like, eh, "Farming cancer." I don't know, like you know, where he he just works it around so he can tell us that his wife died of cancer. He's also, you know, he's great in the scenes. Not uh, to be I'll clear. say this, you know, like Nolan does, is not a filmmaker who overuses close ups, which I think a lot of people do these sure. days. Sure. I think too many movies are shot as just shot, reverse shot, close up, and it's just faces. So uh, close ups don't have any power anymore because you abuse them. Uh, but also, you look at McConaughey in this movie, and it's like, God, that's a full body actor. Like, he sits weird. You're right. In the, the, you're every talking about the way scene. he cranes and the yeah. way he. So, He's always at odd angles like this. Yeah. What do you like about you? Because you just said you like all of this. Yes. Why is this? Like, there's the early scene where they. Um, they snare this drone out of the sky on this sort of chase through the cornfields that's like this busted old Indian Air Force drone. Yes. And it's like a metaphor because they're like, can't we just let it roam around? He's like, it's got to adapt, you know, like it's got to learn to farm Okay, like the rest of us. Here are things I like about this. I'm trying to think of other stuff that happens. Go, you go ahead. They go to the baseball game. I like that in the way that AI is this weird like Kubrick filtered through Spielberg thing. Mm. This feels like Spielberg filtered through Nolan. Sure, sure. There's an interesting kind of handshake going on here. Mm. I did not know that backstory that this is pretty much the section that was kept intact. This is the right, Spielberg the draft, Nolan stuff. But yeah. that makes a lot of sense to me. Mm. Um, I, I think uh, Spielberg would have made this 
feel a lot more magical isn't the world because it's obviously you know you know what I'm saying um but Spielberg I, yes Spielberg but I like that this is such a uh mundane boring dystopia sure do you know what I'm saying like yep. it's just like I like that too this is what it is yeah um, and it's like Basically, Earth is basically dead. Yes. But it's not, that doesn't mean that we're dead or that the people, you know, like that the plants are dead. Right. It's just like, we just kind of quietly know this is, we're close to it. I love that kind of tone, which yeah. I think this movie conveys perfectly. And I like that they don't over explain stuff in this section of the movie, that there's just the kind of like the little details. I think this is when they interweave in a lot of the Dust Bowl talking head stuff, yep. Yep. which I just find really interesting. Yeah, all in those little of details of, of like uh, turning your plates love over. That all love that shit. that shit. And then the other thing I think this section of the movie has going for it, aside from the fact that I, visually, I think the shit Hoyt Van Hoytema does it's great. with these landscapes is unbelievable. I just think this is the section of the movie where McConaughey is so fucking in the pocket because he is so good with the kids. He's because great. His wh- connection with especially, obviously, yes. Murph, which is so crucial to right. what the movie's going to do, right. is, in my opinion, done very well. Because but this thing that McConaughey tapped into as an actor where he just found this undercurrent of emotion and figured out how to you know, restrain as much as possible, use his charisma to keep himself engaging but not feel the need to show what he's feeling— is really powerful in the stuff with the children because it feels like a very, very specific depiction of paternal love mm-hmm. that I feel like uh, I, I don't often see actors play um, in a way that gets me this emotionally. The, even just the way he puts his arms around her, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. or know touches what you're the sun. There's, there's a, a very body language. Actor. He's a really interesting actor. He's it's a little heightened, but I like every moment he's on screen with one of the kids in the movie. I just go like, God, this dad loves his kids so much, and he's so fucking worried for them mm-hmm. because of the state of the world. Right, and I find that very heartbreaking. And he cannot really accept this idea where like that he's being told over and over, which is like we have to adapt, we have to farm. We can't look at the stars, which right. is like what he was sort of trained to do when he was an engineer There's and a NASA scientist. almost like a, a Brad pilot. Bird element to this section of the movie where it's like an anti-exceptionalism. Sure, sure, sure. Like, let's just settle for just it's like true. The, pick up a hoe. Right, right. That that, that Brad Bird strain you is know? very clear. So yeah. this whole section's hitting on a lot of things that I really like. And I just think like McConaughey's like throwing straight, straight heat. So let me move us through. What happens is they follow these gravitational anomalies that mm. keep fucking everything up around them. Yes. Uh, and we later learn actually fucked up his big test flight when he was a test pilot, uh, which you see glimpses of in his in his dreams. Uh, but it's, so they've been going on for decades, is what I mean. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they t- it takes them to a weird abandoned place, him and Murph, and it's like NASA. It is NASA, uh, and this and NASA who are operating in secret. They are taken in by Tars, a, a robot, friend. a good good friend. In my opinion, the greatest thing that's ever happened to society. I don't know what I don't know if you guys agree. So here's the thing about Tars. Tars he fucking rules. Is a robot. He's the best. He is is he 3 I think he's 4, 3 or 4. four. He's 4. Uh, what do you call it? Like uh, just like uh I, uh, I uh, fucking what's the I word don't, for I don't know how you even describe shape. it. Uh it's a very obvious word that I'm not cylinder but uh the sort of cuboid shape that's long and thin. Uh, anyway, a rectangle. What are you? What? But like, but three in three dimensions. Oh, a trapezoid. No, a trapezoid is uh, four sided. Rectangle and three. A rhombus. I'm throwing no, out terms. Four sided. You're you're having fun though. I like it. Uh, but anyway, yeah. 
he's four rectangles, I guess is the easiest way to put it. He's like he's like a bunch of popsicle sticks. Right. And he together can unfold are, them right. into more popsicle sticks if he wants to. Right. And he mostly stays in brick formation, but the right. four popsicle sticks can kind of go out. And, walk. and to walk, he like sort of like two rectangles, two rectangles, two Let's rectangles, say this. two Let's rectangles. Say this. Yeah. I think we're wasting time describing TARS. If you've People seen the movie, know what TARS is like. you I know just, what he looks like. I just think it's kind of delightful to try. <laughs> if, if you haven't seen the movie, look up TARS. TARS is Even great. Even if you're not going to watch the rest of the film, look up TARS. You'll thank us later. Uh, trust me. You want to look at Tars. He is played by Bill Irwin. The great Bill the Irwin. The great Bill Irwin, who uh, is does a lot of physical acting on stage. He's uh, one a of clown. One of our greatest living clowns. Uh, and, but also a good actor. He does the voice and puppetry of Tars. Right. He just does the puppetry of Case, the other robot. Uh, okay. Josh Stewart is the voice of Case. Who is Josh Stewart? Oh, wait, um, I could have sworn it was Jeffrey T- Tambor. It is not Jeffrey Tambor. Wait, do you actually? Oh, no. Go ahead. Oh, my God. I'm so disappointed. Why? What, Ben? What are you talking well, about? Well, I thought I, I really, I, I thought so. I wrote Tars as Jeffrey Tambor in Arrested Development because I, I, the whole time I was convinced that was him. I don't know. Is this a bitter? Did you actually think it was Jeffrey Tambor? I have no idea if it's a bitter now. You know, I wine and dine them, but I don't let them tell me what to do. It's my favorite Tambor line in Arrested Development. Did you write that down word for word? <laughs> you you were it reading down. it off of your notepad. I, wrote it down. I don't. Let them tell me what it is. To that do. is arguably the funniest thing that ever happened in Arrested Development, right? I don't like, like when he turns around and looks at the dolls. <laughs> That's why, in my opinion, season two is the best of Arrested Development because Tambor in the attic is yeah. so weirdly rewarding. They like write themselves into the biggest corner where he can't leave the attic, and they find so many ways to have fun with it. I'll, I'll tell the you one what. where he like uses the hot tub to make ramen or whatever. My my like single himself out. my single favorite joke is from that plot line. My favorite <laughs> which Arrested one? Development joke which is one? Dad. I have to tell you, I have Pop Pop in the attic, and he goes. The mere fact that you called that tells me that you're not ready. <laughs> <laughs> but there's so many vert like where it's like uh, hiding Pop Pop like from the Nazis or whatever. Like <laughs> yeah. the, the Anne Frank jokes. Uh, anyway, uh, no Tars is voiced by Bill Irwin. Josh Stewart's just like an actor. Okay, he's in The Dark Knight Rises. Oh, interesting. He plays. Barsad. Okay. I don't know who that is. Uh, Irwin said when he got hired, he didn't know what he was playing, and then he thought he was just playing the voice of the robot, and then he was like, oh, fuck, this is why they hired me, because they want me to operate this brick. He operated it, and they digitally removed him, which is wild. I think there are a couple shots. I feel like when... When Tars turns into like full asterisks, mm-hmm. yeah, sure, that's then CGI. it's full well, CGI. Sure, sure, but right, most right. of the movie, it's like full asterisks. By the way, perfect, the best, well put. When that happened for the first time in the movie, I could not stop giggling. I was so happy was when that happened, and it's in a mind. very stressful moment of the movie. Yes. And why it's so good is when it happens, you are very stressed out because Tars has to rescue her, and you're like, he's so slow. How is he going to get there? And then he goes like. Whoosh. And then starts rolling, and you're like, I can't believe I didn't think of that. I'm so happy. Uh, we should, we will drop in David Reese right here. Can we, can we play it now? Let's, let's, yeah, set let's it play up. it right let's now. Let's explain it. Let's, let's talk about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so David Reese, friend of the show, past guest. Yeah, he's on Probably the AI app. A great friend of ours and of mine. I would say I recently guy. flew Delta, and season two of Going Deep with David Reese was available there, which is not very easy to find. So very if you're on an airplane, Take great Delta. way, great way to spend your time. Um, so 
uh, he loved when I was talking to him about this movie. He was like, I don't, I don't, I didn't really love Interstellar, but I love Tars. I love that bit where he turns into a thingy and he rolls around. And he was like, Could I just like do five minutes on Tars and you drop it into the episode? That was what he asked of me. So and we're I, we're gonna I play said, David yeah. Reese's. This is this is a new segment we're calling Tars Talk with David Reese. <laughs> Hi guys, this is David Reese with your Interstellar Robot Report. When David told me you guys were discussing this Christopher Nolan movie, I was very excited because one of the few things I remembered about it was the moment when the robot just goes completely buck wild on the water planet uh, and basically turns into a fidget spinner and hauls ass to save um, the lady scientist. The only other thing I remember from the movie, of course, was the nine dimensional Hallmark Hallmark movie bookshelf Tesseract. Um, I do think this is a really uh, unsatisfying movie. It's what I would call a dumb, smart movie uh, as compared to something like Mad Max Fury Road, which is a smart, dumb movie. I think for all the praise that people heaped upon this movie for its scientific rigor in terms of accurately visually rendering a wormhole, I think a lot of the actual important science and time travel and and um, creating tesseracts and stuff is completely incoherent. And so I kind of feel like Christopher Nolan is having it both ways, which is that he gets some, he gets some of that yay science cred um, that bolsters what to me just seems like a total gooey mess where gravity and love are the strongest forces in the universe. I mean, I'm sure gravity is, I'm not a physicist love. I'm not so sure about, but anyway, you didn't have me on to discuss my, um, pretentious intellectual uh, judgments of the physics and metaphysics of Interstellar, I came on because I wanted to talk about TARS. And then I have to admit to you, David, that I realized on rewatching the movie that I actually don't like TARS at all. I like Case, the other robot. I find TARS's humor setting and style of joking, again, I feel like this is part and parcel with what I would call the recent yay science genre. I think Tars sounds like he would be performing comedy at the same open mic that uh, Matt Damon would be performing at on uh, on Mars in his movie The Martian, which is also one of the least funny, funny movies ever made. Um, and so I really don't, I love the look of Tars, obviously, and Case, of course. Um, I like the abstracted anthrop- anthropomorphism of these robots. I like their sort of impossible movements. To me, maybe this is because I have a, a, a extreme uh, imaginative poverty that I'm operating with, but I find those robots and the way they move and the kind of production design of those uh, mechanical beings to be, in a way, more interesting and more rewarding than the super abstract metaphysical tesseract space, which visually looks great, but then the fact that Matt, that, um, what I was going to say, Matt Damon, what's his name? Uh, Matthew McConaughey can just kind of float around from, from bookshelf to bookshelf, peeping on his daughter in different moments, uh, felt too literal to me to be kind of, um, to kind of do justice to the, what would be so curious about that actual space. Um, again, I, uh, must refrain from criticizing Christopher Nolan and focus only on the robots. This is the robot report. Uh, and I should keep that in mind. So I, I will just say this, this is a long winded preamble to 
the, my nut, uh, which is as follows. I think when they land on, I think it's Miller's planet, the wave planet, to me, that whole sequence is so great. It's everything, it's sci-fi at its best because the, the environment is very dreamlike. An, an endless ocean that is also very shallow. To me, that is more authentically dreamlike and surreal and, and wonder-making than anything in um, his big dream movie that you guys talked about, whose name I'm completely blanking on, um, Inception. I think that water planet is fantastic. I think massive hundred story high waves coming out of nowhere is also very, I mean, again, I don't know about the physics of it. You have to talk to Neil deGrasse Tyson about whether waves can operate like this, but I find it very dreamlike and very surreal in a way that, that I respect in sci-fi. And then when Matthew McConaughey tells Case to go get Anne Hathaway and he just busts the sickest move I've ever seen a robot ever do. To me, that scene is the, is the highlight of the movie. It, it, it has as much imagination and as much kind of bewildering, slightly incomprehensible uh, dustings of future technologies and future ways of being. To me, that scene on that planet is the strongest in the movie and, and, and achieves what I think he wanted the entire movie to achieve which is a true sense of wonder. And I am afraid that I am so literal minded that to me, the, 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 the strange physical motion of that robot um, and the way it moves through the water is, is much more captivating. And I've spent much more time thinking about that than I ever have thinking about like, oh, can I go into a wormhole that my future great grandson is gonna plant in the universe so I can hide behind a bookshelf and pu push books onto a dusty floor so my daughter will see. I mean, the, the whole fucking movie makes no goddamn sense. Um, okay, so thank you so much for letting me um, share my love of uh, the robot Case. I'm Team Case. Tars, uh, your humor setting should be set to zero because even when it's operating at 90%, it's effectively at zero. Thank you uh, to everyone for indulging me and goodbye, Blank Chat Podcast. See you in hell. Uh, thank you for that. That has been Tars Talk with David Rees. Yep. Uh, tune in next week for another installment. Of course, uh, during Dunkirk. Yeah. Yes. Stars is in Dunkirk. He is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He He's a hero. Kenneth Branagh. Um, the thing I love about Tars is it's such a weird design. And then you look at it and you're like, right, why would you design a robot to look like a human? Right. That's what Nolan's whole argument is. Like, that makes no sense. We already have humans. Right. Humans can do that shit. Right. Uh, like I think about, and he's supposed to be a war robot. He was right. built for war, and humans are not built for war. Easy right. to destroy. Right. <laughs> it would be better if humans were walls that right. walked. Right. <laughs> uh, yes. Yes. A walking wall would win all wars. Um, like a very aggro wall, too. Yes, and you get Mexico to pay for it. Of course. Um, but uh, I just uh, remember hearing that um, the first time Danny Boyle used like a red camera. Uh huh. He was like, what's all this junk? And they were like, well, it's a camera, this and that. And he's like, right, but the way a camera was built and the shape of it and the design of it was because you needed all of that space to house the thing. Right, it doesn't have to be in that shape, right? Right, so like Danny Boyle like famously took apart the red camera and like took all the guts of it and put it in a backpack and they just had a wire connect to the lens yeah, right. so that uh, Anthony Dodd Mantle could like operate it. And Tars is like off of that same logic, which is like, there's no reason for us to look like a person. Rethink this. Yeah, right. exactly. Just what's the simplest shape? A board. <laughs> <laughs> and 
just that idea of like the board, it can unfold into a million boards. Right. Like it's boards on boards on boards. <laughs> uh, it's so good. And not only that. I love TARS. At the beginning of TARS, he is, he's kidnapped McConaughey. Like, uh, uh, sorry, Murph is not, is missing. Coop thinks something bad has happened. Uh-huh. And essentially a wall with a computer screen is yelling at him. And it's yes. like, how did you get here? In this like booming, scary voice. But the other weird choice that nolan makes and mcconaughey's is, like i'll turn you into a harvester i don't know he's like he's trying to fuck with tars mcconaughey's slipping away from oh me. i don't have it there i only have mri yeah that's really <laughs> that's what i've got um i wish i had it otherwise yeah uh we yeah, look if you got a good mcconaughey in this business <laughs> you're made baby oh, dark tower sketches for days oh yeah cook that chicken baby uh-huh. um the uh, the thing I love about Tars is that he made a decision not to uh, process or treat the audio in any way. Right, right. So you it have, sounds like it's coming out of a speaker. Yeah. Well, no. What I like about it is it sounds like um, it's clearly the live audio recording. Oh, you mean of Irwin? Right, 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 right. They don't make it sound like it's coming out of any sort of digital no but it sounds like he's just a guy in a room it's weird it's like disembodied it sounds very weird very weird it sounds weird to me yeah but i like that it's it's unnatural because they don't the whole point is that tars has like been designed to make people feel more comfortable so he's very conversational he's got this dumb sense of humor and he has a light which is a perfect nolan idea i think i love i think nolan would prefer that we all had lights to indicate when we were joking right like if we make a joke and then our eye just went like <laughs> and he'd be like, "Great, it's a joke. I get it." Uh, and like, do you think he has like a red light for sarcasm? Like, he has like various lights. He has like an irony light. Yeah, he's like a mood ring. <laughs> Go on. Uh, no, I just, I, I just love that it's like this weird disembodied voice that follows this logic of just like, well, you, you're just supposed to feel comfortable because he's talking like a person, right? But we're not going to make it sound. I think it specifically doesn't sound like it's coming from a speaker, which is what I find interesting no, about it. I mean, like, it doesn't matter. I We, we can't get into this yeah, right now. Whatever. I don't mean it sounds digitized in the right way. I mean, it literally sounds like he's blaring, uh, but it doesn't matter. Yes. To me, it sounds like he's yelling his lines from off camera, which is what I like about it. <laughs> but what's happening at NASA, Yes, which we can deal with very quickly, sure. is Anne Hathaway is there. Brand. She is Dr. Amelia Brand. Brand. She is the daughter of McConaughey's old teacher, Coop's old teacher, uh, Professor Brand. Brand. Played by a hilariously made to look kind of young Michael Caine because they're going to need to age him 30 years. Let's put a little yellow in that hair. Yeah, his hair looks wild. Mm -hmm. I keep saying that, but it's true. Mm -hmm. Uh, And they're very friendly. Yes. They they like putting a little scare in old Coopy, but they're friendly. Old pals. And as they finally reveal to him, they uh, are NASA. They're mm-hmm. operating in secret, and they are dealing with uh, a wormhole that was noticed in space underneath Saturn's rings 48 mm-hmm. years ago that is to another galaxy. And in this wormhole are other worlds that we might live on. And they sent people into the wormhole to look at the planets, and now we've got to take ourselves in there there's three that seem viable. The three astronauts. In We're one, the two friends. They're the three astronauts. Correct. Uh, competitive advantage in space travel. Yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, Makes them different from all other space travels. Exactly. There's three planets in one system mm-hmm. that seem potentially viable. So 
they need Coop and some scientists to go in there with a big amount of jizz. They got a jizz probe. They got a lot of jizz. Uh, full of human eggs. Like they've got like a population bomb is what they call it. Yeah, not since something about Mary has jizz been so central. <laughs> uh, and they want to essentially colonize a new world because Earth is dead. They right. have two plans. Plan B is what I just described, which is essentially just go to a new world with the with the eggs, Get that make new people, yeah, forget everyone else, yes. But plan A is, uh, you go you see this building here, right? It's a spaceship. This building is a spaceship because of this wormhole and the shit we've been doing. We understand that gravity, which is the most crucial thing in this movie, is like a force that we might be able to harness. Mm-hmm. So maybe we can make this spaceship take off yes. from Earth without fuel. Yes. And like we can start traveling at speeds that are much faster than just like. And take a lot of people with us. Exactly. Save the human race. Exactly. And McConaughey is like, why do you need me to drive it? You didn't even know I was alive until, you Great. know, whatever. I mean, the, po- the point is, this is when they get into the notion of like the this weird sense of destiny. Fate. Yes, Someone right, was trying right, to communicate right. with you. He's yes, been brought true. here by a gravitational anomaly. Right. Gravity is what's driving them over to the wormhole. I think someone's trying to communicate with us. Right. Because the concept is- You were going to take off without me. He said, yeah, but we weren't going to be prepared. We got people who've never left the simulator. Right. We need a real pilot. You have been in a plane. Right place, right time. And wormholes, as anyone who studies theories of relativity know, are artificial constructs. They cannot exist as natural phenomenon because they require anti-energy to exist. Uh, Yes, we all know that. uh, Because wormholes are bridges in space-time, and bridges in space-time can't be sustained because there's no such naturally occurring anti-energy. But if you study dark matter... Hey, man. You know, a lot of dark there's matter potential shit. because we don't know a lot about dark matter. We know like basically nothing. Really nothing. Yeah. Um, and we know even less about warp dark matter. You know, warp dark matter, lead antagonist of Buzz Lightyear Space Command, the short-lived ABC spinoff Saturday morning cartoon show. No, I don't remember that. But His I name d- was Warp Dark Matter. I just want to pause real quick. The, the antagonist of Buzz Lightyear of Star Command, the short-lived so ABC was up. part of One Saturday Morning. It was a... Maybe 20 episodes. Can I tell you one thing seasons. about it? Can I tell you one thing about Stephen it? Stephen First was on Can it Can I tell as you one well, thing Larry about that? Because I actually yes. have something to say about sure. Buzz well, Lightyear. Right. It was a show. Yeah. It was um, a show. Uh, I once read an interview with the people behind that show in like Entertainment Weekly or something where they said that Buzz Lightyear's hair would never be seen. He'd always be wearing his little cowl that uh-huh. he has. Yeah. And they were like, it's kind of like our version of like how you don't see Maris and Frasier. And I remember reading that and thinking like... Are these people just idiots and who are bored and they just said that? Or do they really think like, yeah, no, we need like a Maris joke for this Saturday morning space cartoon about Buzz Lightyear. But I, I will say I would have been very unnerved as a child if they ever showed his It's hair. true. It would be weird. It's just the way they said it where they were like that. And I was just like, that's just how he looks. I don't know if that counts as Maris on Frasier. Well, but like you see some of the other people take off their hoods. Right, the right, other right. And they like make, they do Command. bits about it is what you're saying. Yes. Uh, I, I remember uh, I was like so excited for that show. I was pumped and I went to see they did like a special screening of Toy Story 2. You're so crazy. At Lincoln Center. And I went with my dad and they had like some Pixar people there doing a and a afterwards and showing like behind the scenes clips and whatever. Right. And at the Q&A, someone asked about like, what about the uh, Buzz Lightyear of Star Command animated series? Anything you can tell us? And the guy was like, uh, no comment. <laughs> and I was like, oh, they don't like this show. No. Well. Pixar's unhappy that this show exists. Of course they are. They have a very, they're obsessed with their brand not being diluted. I'm sorry, was I saying anti, uh, I can't remember, it's negative energy is what I'm talking about, essentially. 
Uh, I watched the, all the extras for this podcast, and mo- one of the biggest extras is called The Science of Interstellar. It has nothing to do with the movie, and it's just Matthew McConaughey slowly explaining like basic concepts of relativity over, you know, oh, like I basic. Check that out. It's great. I mean, over basically like PBS style graphics of like wormholes and shit. That might honestly like really help me go to sleep. It's quite nice. Anyway. That sounds so soothing. Yeah, let's get back into it. I fuck with Europa. <laughs> it's it's Matthew. I just, I'm sorry. I just want to clarify. So is Matthew McConaughey like, it, it's like, it's essentially like a science documentary. It's just a science documentary, but instead of like Neil deGrasse Tyson it's doing Matthew the voiceover, it's Matthew McConaughey. You don't see him on screen. It's a soothing voice. Just his voice, his nice voice. But at a certain point, does it turn out that he actually doesn't know all the science? It's his boyfriend's science. <laughs> and you can tell because he and puts a steel book in there. <laughs> Yeah, and it's a real bummer. Your your dick goes soft right away. All right. Uh, essentially, wormholes are a steel book. Damn it! Wormholes are 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 artificial constructs. Yeah. If they exist in reality, they would disappear within seconds. So, for one okay. to stay, someone had to have put it there. Uh huh. So, what is motivating NASA so much is that someone seems to be helping us. There seems to be an intentionality. They've given us a window into a habitable world, essentially. A window, more like a shelf. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so this is, and of course, the main thing is we know Cooper hates being a farmer. Yes. He doesn't want to live this pathetic life. He hates his son's going to be a farmer. Everyone's just giving up. But he does love Murph. He used to reach for the stars. Now we sit and worry Now about we reach him. for the tars. <laughs> Place in the dirt. He has that line. Say, pass the tars, please. We have 40 minutes. <laughs> okay, you have to catch a train. Yeah. Uh, I'm waiting for a train. <laughs> okay. So, and as I, that, that cut I described, that what I love here is after all this setup, and there has been a lot. Yeah. Uh, it's just that thing of like, will you do it? And you see him say goodbye to Murph in this very crucial scene where she won't look at him. Like, that, that's the scene where I was like, I am on the hook it's, emotionally it's a, with this He movie. does it very well. And then I never. She does it well too, but I, he does it beautifully. That, what, that scene is my peak emotional investment in the film. Like I was like, oh man, they're laying out the cards. This movie's going to destroy me. And I never get as emotionally invested that's as I fine. do in that that's scene. That's fine. Um, but I just think he, it's so good because he does a perfect job being very upset, but also being very I'm frustrated. Back. I'm coming back. Yeah, he's trying to soothe her, but he fucks up in some ways where he's like, huh, because of relativistic uh, theory, I'll probably be, you'll be as old as me when I come back. And she's like, Uh, not helpful. (laughs) Frightening. Hard pass on that. And not a performance review way. Exactly. He gives her his watch and she throws it against the shelf. She's not happy. She's not happy. But I love how he plays both being very sad to leave her and very upset that this is their goodbye. And he doesn't got a choice. They got the ship's taken and off. That that He's thing got to catch a train. Him in the truck driving away, crying. Yes. And this the straight match, like the cut straight to yeah. um, the ship, the rocket taking off. I think is so clever. Uh, where it's like that emotional decision is what he had to do. Forget the training and everything. We don't care. Like it's that's what happened. I remember someone saying in a review for this movie that it it felt like McConaughey must have spent straight days looking in the mirror studying how his face works he looks amazing when he cries in this movie you know because i feel like weirdly the gif of him crying later which we'll get to yeah has become this like universal internet speak for like absolute devastation yeah you know like you know it's the new uh <laughs> when people would use the clip of george uh c scott and hardcore right right uh, yeah freaking out in the theater yeah right. yeah, yeah um so they're on the pl- they're on the 
uh, the the spaceship. Yes, endurance, mm-hmm. which is pretty cool. Cool. It spins ship. It's a spinny ship. Mm-hmm. It has a couple of rangers, which are these sort of uh, little glidery things that can land and take off of planets. Almost just like a top with gliders on either side. And yeah, and it's got the population bomb in it and stuff like that. Bunch of jizz. Bunch of jizz. And his team is him. Mm-hmm. It's Dr. Amelia Brand, and Hathaway. Mm-hmm. It is uh, Romilly. My sister. Uh, who is played by David Giassi, who had played- Interesting like, casting choice. I think he's wonderful. He's very movie. different than my sister, though. I mean, if we're going to base it off of her. <laughs> it's, you're right. You're right. Uh, but he had played Skinny Prisoner in The Dark Knight Rises, okay. and Christopher Nolan was so taken with him that he cast him in this movie. In between, he's in Cloud Atlas. Right. That's what I was going to say. Okay, but right. I, I mean, he, t- he liked him on the set of Dark Knight Rises, I yeah. guess. I don't know. He's so- Interesting. It's a really weird performance. The way he plays it is so great because he's playing it like a scientist in a way that I think is uh, very realistic, rather than the usual like scientist in these ships, uh, these in these movies, yes. where they're kind of like, oh, well, you know, like I don't know, like the more sort of nerdy scientist. He's someone who is so lost in thought at all times. Yes. Anytime something's proposed to him, he sort of like looks away and he's like. Hmm, yes. Um, you know, like he has, he's so weird. He's very strange. He's doing something really, really specific. I think it's so good. And uh, it's it's like a big bet. Like, uh, but God, I, I don't even, I know you're going to hate this. So okay. I'm like hesitant to even verbalize this. What is it? I think he, because he's going for such a specific emotional tapestry of how a scientist would process these sorts of circumstances, mm-hmm. it, I find his performance weirdly jars with Hathaway's. Yeah, I, but I think... Because, because, you know, it's like, it, it's hard to reconcile both of them being scientists in a way. Sure. Because Hathaway is an actor I like a lot. Yeah, I think this is this is my favorite Anne Hathaway performance in her career. See, something about, I don't think there's anything wrong with her performance. Something about this character doesn't work for me, and I, I still can't character. figure out what it is. I love her. Like, watching a second time, I think my the Brand. part where I don't fully get on board with the movie is something with her. Yeah. I'm yeah. tarzing on the table yeah, here. he's tarzing away. Trying to figure it out. But, um, you know, I think Nolan cast her and cast McConaughey because this is a movie that could be very, very cold. And he wanted to cast two very emotional, mm-hmm. available, accessible actors sure. in these lead parts. And Hathaway's like an open wound. She's very vulnerable. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, and that's what people who don't like her don't like about her. And those people are wrong. Okay. Yeah. Um, but I think she is so... Uh, emotionally accessible. Right. And Gayasi is making this really interesting choice to play someone who like only is able to figure things out in terms of numbers on a spreadsheet right. in a weird way. But I think, well, anyway, we can't, we got to move on. Yes. But he's sort of like more of the, what we've been told are the scientists that have been sent through the wormhole already, mm-hmm. which is these people who are not really attached to anyone on earth. So they don't have too much of an emotional stake in what happens. Yeah. To fucking nerds and losers. Earth. Yeah. Yeah. A bunch of nerds and losers. Whereas she, is supposedly that, but she is this more sentimental choice. She's right. attached to her father, yes. who is on Earth, and she's attached to Wolf Edmonds, who's one of the scientists who already went through, who she apparently was involved with. Yes, she loves him. Um, and so, 
uh, that's why I'm cool with her being a little more open uh, than, and the, we should say I, okay. Wes, Wes Bentley is the fourth scientist. Yes. Uh, and he exists. And he's fine. He's I think fine. he's fine. He's it's solid. just, I mean, it was one of those things where he'd been in the Hunger Games, so I guess he was kind of back, yeah. but it was still like, wow, Wes Bentley. Haven't heard from Wes Bentley in a while. Weird. He's good. I mean, again, he's pretty, he's pretty chill. Yes. Uh, so they're on endurance. They go down for the long nap and then they wake up and it's time to go through the wormhole. So let me ask you in, and I love that scene where Giassi, uh, where Romilly is listening to the rain in his ears. Like mm. he's listening to rain music. Oh, it's so great. Um, or is it, I can't remember who's listening. Or is it Cooper's I th- I think, listening to it? I can't remember. Um, it doesn't matter. What were you going to say? How long are they in the, the nap? Like, what I can never figure out with this movie is um, how long their expedition is in their time. Do you know uh, what I'm saying? It would take, like, right now, Yeah, it would take a f- couple of years to get to Saturn. Maybe okay. three. Uh, I think they are going faster. Okay. You know, because it is fast. They, they have a more advanced ship. Okay. But so the, it's, I think the idea essentially is it takes them a while to get to Saturn, mm-hmm. but just like a couple of years. Okay. And then they go through the wormhole, and then where they lose most, like, they basically lose 30 years on the first planet. Right. After that, they lose barely any time at all until they until the movie is over. Right. Because th- then it's just real time. Okay. You know, then they're just hopping from planet. It's like weeks or months, right? Sure, you know? sure. Um, but it's the, the, the major time advancement, obviously, is after the first planet. Yes. So they, but they go through the wormhole. I love that scene. How do you feel about the wormhole? It's good stuff. I that's mean, fucking, I could just that's watch the shit that in IMAX where you were yeah. like, oh my God. Yeah. Uh, Kip Thorne, uh, who is the physicist, who, like he was very clear that the wormhole should be a sphere. Yes. Because wormholes are always circles. Right. They're like doors in space. And they explain it thoroughly. Romilly does the wrinkle in time thing where he folds the paper mm-hmm. and puts the pencil through to explain like what a wormhole does, which is fold space time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, the way it works, the wormhole... And you should really watch the documentaries on the Blu-ray. I will, honestly. Where, like, Kip Thorne would take scientific uh, equations and give them to visual effects people to, uh, and then they would put that through their algorithms to see what visual thing was created from it. That's cool. It's so cool. And, like, he was, and he was very satisfied with the black hole because he was like, I'm not sure how this is going to look. And then they showed it to him and they were like, oh, he was like, wow, that's actually great. Like, that's what I thought it was going to look like, but it actually looks good, you know. Uh, but so the wormholes. This, this sphere. Win, this won the visual effects Oscar, right? It did. Yeah, it did. It was the only Oscar it won. It also was nominated for the sound Oscars and production design and music. I think. Okay. A lot of lot of tech noms. Yeah. Uh, but they would instead of just going in, they kind of go into orbit around the wormhole, and then they just sort of let it overtake them, and then they're just in this like sea of the galaxy that they're entering, mm-hmm. and it's all like rumbly. And this weird, like, blur, like, touches Anne Hathaway's hand. She kind of shakes hands with the blur. Uh, which they think is, like, these beings that made the wormhole. And then what I love is rather than them exiting, the space just sort of unfolds and becomes new space. Yeah. And Welcome there's that, to new space. It's fucking nuts, man. Yeah. And and the silence of this makes it. Yeah, the only music, uh, noise right. you're hearing is the ship, like, rattling. Right. Uh, it's great. Which makes it very eerie. I just so get cool. so the part where her hand, happy talking about this. Her thing. hand yeah, gets blurs. distorted. Yeah, yeah. That like I love that. It's visual. frightening too. Yeah, yeah. Frightening. and they again like Nolan was just like he was like he says in the interviews and shit. He's like I wasn't gonna like 
sacrifice cinema for the sake of making everything like perfectly scientifically sure. accurate. But I just wanted it to reflect science in a way that people often just don't bother to do, which is yeah. fine too. I mean, like, you know, do what you want. Um, but they reach this system uh, that is orbiting a black hole called Gargantua. And the black hole has an accretion disk, which is mm-hmm. what a black hole would have, which is like essentially all the shit that's getting sucked into it. And it makes it look like this sort of ringed thing. Mm-hmm. And apparently that's the only, I just want to tell you, it's the only thing he fucked with. It's symmetrical in the movie. Like it's basically a big circle. Whereas the real thing would be blue and kind of asymmetrical. It looks really weird. Okay. Same basic idea, but it's like the circle is just sort of wrong. It's like big on one side and small on the other. Here's my take on all and that. And he just sort of smoothed it out to make it look a little more normal. Because he thinks audiences were just been too like weirded out by it. Here's my take on all of that. I like it. It looks cool. <laughs> so here they are in the new galaxy. Bum, bum, bum. Planet One is giving them like a thumbs up. Let's go check it out. So they go down to yeah. Planet One. And you know the old adage, first is the worst. And they have all these conversations about like how do we approach it to like use the least time. Because mm. Planet One is right by the black hole. Because McConaughey at this point is like really on the clock. He's like, man, my daughter promised got to get back home. Exactly. And he's still thinking like plan A in which we solve gravity equations and, like, bring Earth out. Coop is all about planning. And Anne Hathaway's basically with him, although she's less, like, emotional about it. She's like, no, no, no. I mean, we sh- that's, that's true. We should she's think about also, that. She's also, she's trying to rekindle and, and She wants to get to Wolf Evans, boot. but he's all the way up there. Right, she's all about plan E. So they go to, pl- they go to this planet, and it's just water. Yep, too much water. Now, I, I was, like, on board. It's wet because it's shallow too. Right, they well, land and yeah. they're just they're you just sort of like oh, oh okay, and yeah. it's very heavy. Mm-hmm. Gravity's low, uh, very very strong because they're near the black hole. It's a keeps you grounded. Of, yep, it's plentiful of cloners. We should mention that. <laughs> it is. It is. A yeah, it's in the Rishi maze. No, of yeah. course it is. Yeah, we all know that. Uh, we should note that Dexter Jester is in charge of NASA in this movie. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> he runs it out of his diner. Uh, <laughs> very interesting. <laughs> Oh boy. Um, so this planet is terrifying, mm-hmm. but in a way that is, again, like unique. That's again what I love about this. He finds this frightening shit in just yes. waves up and down. Like, that's it. That's all this planet is, is just waves. What, what I like about this movie is that all the stuff that's scary in it is scary because it is real. Right. Like, he's not heightening stuff too much, so it's just like, right. oh, this is just upsetting. He's created, like, a sci-fi nightmare, but in the idea in a very of just, like, tangible, what if a planet was near a black hole, it's a and short walk it would just be waves. From right. where we actually are. No yeah. alien plants, no alien creatures. No aliens in this no movie. Animals. No animals. It's just humans and just different terrain. Avatars. And avatars. Yeah. Avatar-tars. <laughs> All right. Oof. So... Uh, waves avatars and so yeah thank you uh, what happens at the wave planet big wave uh, Tars goes into asterisk mode to rescue Brand right she's trying to get the data which they immediately is realize, the data the just says like this planet is waves yeah, like- get, get the fuck out of here this place sucks <laughs> where are the mountains there aren't mountains there are waves learn uh, shapes uh, dummy <laughs> Wes Bentley dies here he, uh, he gets drowned by the waves McConaughey is hopping mad now because they're wasting time on this planet because like every hour is seven years or something crazy right. like that. They're wasting time. They lost a Bentley. We had just gotten him back. It's true. He, his career had just gotten right back in order and he seemed to be doing okay. And then just whoosh. 
Just right off the wagon again. That shot of him floating down there is pretty crazy when they leave. Agreed. It is a lot. Um, And it's just, this is where he confronts Brand where he's like, you fucked up. You don't know what you're doing. Like, you know, you didn't get that how much of a cost there would be. Because they essentially, by being down there for too long, they, uh, they lose like 30 years practically. So can you explain to me how and why they lose 30 years? I don't totally I, I'm understand. not smart enough about the theory of relativity to explain why it is. It's just that time dilates right. in, in different ways the closer you are to like gravitational forces. Okay. Did they know that going to that planet would cost them that much time? They, but Yes, but they thought it was going to be seven years because they thought right. what would happen would they would detach, go down, pick her up or check out the probe, leave. But because the wave knocks the uh, boat out, the, okay. the, the ship out, they have to like wait on the planet for an additional whatever minutes. Gotcha. Because the engines are flooded and shit. And that's just like that's what kills way okay. more time. Okay. Yeah. So when they come back to the planet, uh, to the ship, one less person, uh, Romilly has been like in hypersleep, awake. He's like sure. aged, but it's been like 30 years. This is another thing we're talking about how like they, uh, make the very weak attempt to yellow Michael Caine's sure, hair right, a little right. so he's he got looks a younger gray. later. David Gassi, like, they, I would have given him a little more hair before they leave the ship. Oh, sure, sure, right, just so he could lose some of it. But he's not been al- awake for all of that I'm time. aware. He has been sleeping. I'm right? aware. Yeah. I just think because the reveal of him there and when he tells them, like, I've been here for 30 years. Yeah, right, right. It would have been a little more affecting if he looked a little more different. Sure, I guess you're you. looking at him and you're like, did I forget he had gray You wish he was like, ooh. I don't need him to be full whatever, you know, but I just want a little bit of that shock. They come like, back and he is now the Six Flags guy. <laughs> <laughs> and Brand's like, you're so old. He's like, dun, 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 dun. <laughs> so... <laughs> but instead of what you're talking about, yes. they present the emotional toll of the time lost in a video montage of all the messages they've gotten. It's a lot. And that's where you get the McConaughey just breaking down as he sees his son have his whole life. You also get, we all know in puberty, what happens to a young man <laughs> is his voice raises and goes five octaves higher, which is how Tim Lee- Yeah, it's like, hey, dad, I got to be uh, in school. I guess I'm going to be a farmer. And then it's like, Hey, yeah, I can't. <laughs> it's so, and you're, you're totally right. The old Casey whisper. Hey, it's Coop Jr. <laughs> I can't beat this thing. Uh, but he, I gotta say, and it is one of those, it's almost Malikian where you're like, oh shit, this is Casey Affleck. Like he got Casey Affleck to be on a computer screen. Yeah. Um, because all you see about Casey Affleck in first, although let's, let's admit, Casey Affleck was kind of, kind of down at this moment in his career. Uh, I'm sorry. This is coming only what? Two years after Tower Heist? <laughs> I think three. I think he was writing years pretty after Tower fucking Heist. high, my friend. Because he got Tower Heist. Which he rules then in. Then he takes a big old break. But then he's back, baby. Ain't them bodies saying? Them saints! Ain't them bodies! <laughs> and then, then, he comes out of the furnace. Oh, That's right. Jeez. <laughs> Ain't them body saints, of course, filmed in a furnace. And yes. Then he comes out of the furnace. Hey, do you know that that movie's uh, about a town near where I grew up? Um, out of the furnace. Yeah, that's rough news, man. Yeah, I actually my condolences. I know, I know a lot about 
the the people that they're based on. I, I, that's that great, is but dark. I, I cannot yeah. give us. A, we can't go on and out of no, the first we can't. We can't. But I just wanted to put that out there. Okay, we'll go out. Uh, we'll do a mailbag where we just talk about out of the furnace. Um, so yeah, I guess <coughs> at this point, this is five years after the Oscar nom for Jesse James. Uh, longer, isn't that two thousand seven? Yeah, this is seven years after. Oh, geez. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is fourteen. This is 14. That's okay. seven. Right. And he and Dungan Baby gone in 2007, then doesn't make a, a movie year. for three years and comes back in 2010 with The Killer Inside Me and uh, uh, fucking I'm Still Here. Which is why he was not acting for something. Yeah, exactly. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, so, but he, so he's there. He ha- you see him. He has it. He meets a woman. He Like they get married. They have yeah. a kid. The kid dies. Like you're watching all this shit uh, and you're just seeing it in McConaughey's face as he like just starts crying. Yes. It's fucking great. And he's sort of alluding to the fact that Coop doesn't want to talk to him. Uh, Murph. Uh, Murph, Murph right, sorry. Right, right. Uh, because, right, you also see Lithgow. Oh, that, oh that, that's before where yeah. Lithgow's like, have fun in the wormhole. As I tried to get her, but she wouldn't. She's very stubborn like her dad. Yeah. And um, uh, then you do you hear that Lithgow died. You know, uh, they buried him out back in the back 40. And then you think that the video's done and then I don't know where here comes Chassie, baby. Chassie. Uh, great introduction I would say actually it's just like you just click to her like totally white face because it's in that like yeah. sort of har- harshly lit webcam almost kind like of night thing. mode kind of exactly yeah, and vision. she's just like hey dad uh, I'm as old as you now like yeah. you like you said her best scene in the movie no question uh, she kills this and he's losing it and then you cut back to earth and you see like now she works for NASA and yeah. she's with Michael Caine who's in his wheelchair now being like oh solve my equation soon don't worry you know and I remember everyone like there was a lot of Oscar hype for this performance going into it I think just because of her function in the movie and Warner Brothers had this contract where she had Most Violent Year that same year and they said she couldn't promote Most Violent Year we've already talked about this right on the podcast strange Um, she's way better in this than she is in Most Violent Year uh, I think she's very good in both I don't think she's but I I think her performance I think she's much like McConaughey, very much working at service of the movie. It's not a very showy performance. That's true. That's it's not true. the kind of thing. Apart from these couple scenes, ever going to get nominated. I'd say no, other than the, the phone movie call would have scene. had to be like a runaway critical success right. for that kind of stuff to be happening. Um, but she is. I just. I, I think about Sean Penn did this interview. Not that I usually whatever. Like to quote go Sean on Penn, quickly. Yes. But they asked him like which actors he was excited by. You know, if he thought there were good actors coming up, and he said Jessica Chastain. She's a fucking Stradivarius. And I think about that all the time. Like anytime I see her in a movie, I'm like, yeah, she's just like, it's just like a fucking. She's a great actress. Yeah. I, I love her. She's a Stradivarius. She's Stradivarius. Yeah. So back on space, back in space though, what's most important is they go, they, there's a debate over, should we go to the second planet, Dr. Man, the best of all of us, mm-hmm. the king of the, the leader of the Lazarus mission. Everyone loves him. He's like the Matt Damon of astronauts, let's Ex- say. Exactly. Or do we go to Wolf Edmonds, whose data was a little better, but has not been broadcasting the thumbs up. And uh, also, I love him. And also, and McConaughey is basically, Coop is saying to Brand, like, uh, you got to think about Earth rather than just yourself. And, and she's she trying has to this speech. Love in scientific terms. Right, where she's saying, but like, what if love is like this sort of definable thing mm-hmm. that is important? Like, in, is has already been in the movie throughout. Because, of right. course, that's what guided him as we learn, you know, spoiler alert, he was her ghost. Uh, you know, ghost like, in the shelf. Ghost in the shelf. You know, like that, like, 
what these what we have understood about ourselves, mm-hmm. future humans have understood about past humans, is that like that's what's anchoring us and helping us to survive. Sure, is our connections to each other. Y- yes, and there's only one thing that goes through a worm, a black hole, gravity, or is there two things: gravity and love. Netflix's Love, starring Gillian Jacobs and Paul Rust. Tars is broadcasting it on all signals when he's in the black hole. People (laughs) cannot get enough of love. Uh, But they go to the second planet, which is, again, the the entrance to each of these planets. Like the entrance to the water planet where it's just like clouds, 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 water. And if you're in IMAX, it's suddenly like this widescreen shot. Yeah. And then the second time, it's that thing where they're going through the clouds and then Bonk, they hit a cloud because the clouds are frozen. Yeah. Pretty cool, huh? <laughs> yeah, frozen cloud? You don't see that every day. Cool. Yeah, try try uh, saving your files in that cloud. You're not going to upload failed. So down here frozen. is Dr. Man. They pull him out. Mm-hmm. Who is it? Matty D. Matty D. I didn't remember that he had been cast. I was genuinely surprised by I his I knew appearance. he was in it. I was waiting to see who he was going to be, but I thought he could just as likely be a, a face in a video call. I didn't yeah, think it yeah, was yeah. going to be this prominent a role. Because he could have been. I understand why they didn't want to credit him. No, no. It's, of course. Because it tips the hand of the movie. It's kind of like a Kevin Spacey and Seven thing. But I also feel like he would have been the end Matt Damon. Yeah, he would have been right. on, the, on the poster. The poster billing is McConaughey, Hathaway, Chastain, and Michael Caine. Which usually Nolan's rocking a lot of people. No, he doesn't, let he, every, he doesn't let Topher in there. He doesn't let Lithgow in there. He no. doesn't let uh, Wes Bentley or anything in there. No. Um, Casey. That scene, yeah, Casey. Casey at the bat. Uh, that scene where they pull him out and mm-hmm. he's just crying is great. And the whole line is like, Matt Damon. Matt Damon's that. sad. He's no. a good crier. Great crier. Great crier. And then great crier. you cut to him like in his little like warm-up blanket. And now he's getting back into the Matt Damon groove and he's like, okay, steady hand. Here we go. He's the hero scientist. That's what I love about this Me shit. Too. He is, you're immediately like, yeah, this guy. Right. You know, he's a pro. This is a movie star. He's a pro. We he's know what he's doing. He's a stable, smart man. Oh, it feels like he's the lead of his own movie that we haven't been watching. But now, okay, smooth transition. And he's like, in he's my planet, take- it's, uh, it's rough. Ammonia clouds. Uh, day, every day is 67 hours long, but, you know, we could live here. Now, even I'm thinking, like, mm, that sounds bad. <laughs> yeah, we got a lot of options, you know? But uh, that is what he's got, and so, and he blew up his robot, Kip, mm-hmm. named after Kip Thorne. Oh, I thought it was named after Kip Pardue. Yeah, that's correct. It's yeah. named after Kip Pardue. Uh, from uh, Rules of Attraction. Yeah, he was in Draven. Yes, he was also in Remember the Titans. <laughs> uh, and, uh... <laughs> The, the decision here, and then this is where they get the news from Chastain on Tars's body mm-hmm. that uh, Michael Caine has died. Yes, and we have that scene where Michael Caine confesses to her that I am dying. I am going to die right now. He reads. He reads the poem. He recites the poem. Dying of the podcast, and he admits to her that he knows they can't. It was a lie. They can't solve this gravity equation of his. They can't bring the people. From plan Earth B, up. more like Plan A, because that's the only plan. <laughs> and uh, that's yeah, like that's all we got. And he dies having finally admitted it. And Matt Damon knows this too. And she's like, "Tell me one thing, did my dad know?" And he's like, "Hold on, let me recite this poem one more time." And then dies mid poem. 
Uh, that's a great scene too, though, because she you can see her frustration where she's yeah. like, oh, fuck, this is it. He's got the poem ready. So now she's like, double fuck my dad. Like, did he, was he just pulling a con on me this whole time? Yep. Um, so she's mad and Hathaway's mad and McConaughey's mad, mm-hmm. but the decision is made. Okay. Everyone will just stay here. This planet is habitable. McConaughey will leave. He'll, he'll go back through the wormhole yeah. back to Earth. I'll go hang out with his 50 year old daughter. Exactly. Right. That's the plan. So we have this scene where uh, they're in their spacesuits mm-hmm. and Matt Damon's like, all right, well, let me show you where we'll live. It's below here, even though I live up here. Uh, definitely nothing weird about that. And like, we'll just go down there, the two of us, just me and you. And I love their spacesuits with the the little like jetpacky things that they can like do make do big jumps with. Uh, it's also interesting that like the in the endurance, their suits are totally white, little little hints of gray, but totally white. Conahay uh, or Damon rather has the orange on his suit, which is like his fucking suit in The Martian. Yeah, it's literally like. A Martian colored suit. You're right. There's a little yeah. bit of orange to it. A little bit of orange he's got going on there. Uh, this scene, what are you looking up here? Uh, well, just that, okay, I, w- I want to double confirm this. There, there is the thing that, like, at this point, Chastain's supposed to be the same age McConaughey is. Yes. McConaughey's much older than Chastain. That's a good point. How I just old looked at is seven he? years older. I thought it was 10. He's 47. She's 40. And she's 40, which is funny because he's supposed to be playing about. Late 30s, I guess. But, you know, whatever. Sure. But, yes. Right. uh, You're right. She looks that age. He looks older. He's he's a funny-looking guy. He's weathered at this point. Uh, He's leathery. He's not like Russ Cole post. No. He's like pre-Russ Cole. He's leathery. So. Man man would make a mean beef jerky. Man, though, with two ends. Yes. Has this monologue. That I think every time I watch it, I love it more and more. I mean, have you, what do you think? Like, <coughs> essentially, where he's, it seems like he's just chatting to mm-hmm. uh, Coop about like the, the power of the human spirit. And mm-hmm. like, isn't it amazing that you're here and you're trying to help your daughter? And like, this is what drives humans, right? But then you realize like he's essentially describing why he's so great. Sure. Sort of, it's this long bit of rationalization about like yeah. why he needs to survive and others don't. And why he has, how he has justified abhorrent what behavior. What he's done. Which is essentially right. he's been broadcasting from the planet that the planet is good when he knows it's not. Right, because he is lonely. He's lonely and he just was sure he would have gotten it. And he right. didn't. Right. And which they, I mean, so he's led dumb. them down there to die. He should have downloaded far more podcasts before he went on the mission. He like should have downloaded my check. ran out. And, and we he, have over 300 hours he, of entertainment. He sh- shush. <laughs> I hate you. No, I love you. Uh, love you too. Yeah, we're the best. Uh, two friends. Uh, but I Hashtag. just, I love that idea of like him not being evil even. Mm-hmm. Just like that that sort of pathetic self, not pathetic even. Like he, that. Yeah. No, I think it is somewhat pathetic. pathetic. Yeah. yeah. No, like that, that like the way he has over the years thought it through to himself where it's yeah. like humans want to survive. Yeah. And, and that's all I'm doing here. Yeah. He's going to get on the ranger, he's going to go up, and he's going to go to the good planet. He'll do it. Right. So he kicks McConaughey. He kicks him down a cliff uh, and to, ki- to kill him, and McConaughey fights back. He's and a he, fighter. And he bashes his helmet 
and cracks it. A moment that always feels weird to me because uh, it feels like McConaughey's like trying to keep him pinned down. Right, yes. And once he's got him in the pin position, then Damon can hit the helmet. Right. For McConaughey to just stand up and be like, okay, different type of fighting. This yeah, helmet it, thing. it's true, it's true. That I agree, That's, that moment is a little Because he's on top. Sweaty. I know, I know, you're right. It's you're a little right. sweaty. Um, but then McConaughey is slowly dying of suffocation. Yes. And Ammonia. I love, yes, and I love that man is like, I thought I could watch this, but I can't. I'm sorry. Like, like he's still justifying it yeah. to himself. Yeah, he's he's like, like, this sucks. Are you seeing your family? I know you I know you will. That's what happens when you die. You the, know. The part of his speech I really like is the, you know, I never once considered it wouldn't be the right planet. Right, right, right. But however he phrases yes, it. Yes, I but always thought it would be. Yeah, this guy is it. such the Boy Scout. He was right. like the Captain America of NASA that it was like. I'm going to get the winning planet. Of course I am. But what he doesn't get in describing all of this is that Coop will also try to survive. Like, it's the thing. He's describing the way that Coop's going to beat him. Mm-hmm. And so Coop escapes, uh, or, or or it's more like Damon escapes. He gets into the Ranger and he fl- flies up. Yeah. But the robots kind of are onto him. And poor Romilly dies, too, when Romilly tries to investigate the broken robot. Yeah. Kabloom. Um, but uh, yeah, just that. And then you. Just like Kip Pardue's career, it is up in smoke. And then. Da- <laughs> fucking hell. And then Damon's <laughs> moment in the space station, yeah. uh, in the endurance, where he's still monologuing. And his last line is, there is a moment. And then, because he thinks, like, I've. He's trying to the dock worm. with them. He's done it manually. He's done it badly because they, like, turned off and the like, autopilot. Get the fuck away from they're us. Like, You're we crazy. Don't like you. <laughs> and he's like, no, no, no. This is important. There is a moment. And he's dead, and he blows up half the ship. Yeah, God. So now they're like double Man, fucked. Humanity's worst enemy. They're double fucked, and they also each are like McConaughey's like fuck. I just lost like thirty five years of my daughter's life, and right, right. Uh, and Hathaway's like I just lost the chance to see the guy I was in love with. Right. Uh, for this fucking homicidal mania. Right. And also, well, and also there is that sort of crazy action sequence where the score's going, where they're like spinning and spinning and spinning to like lock back in because it's the only way they can stop it spinning. Yes. Which is, again, I feel like a cool way of like a science-y problem that's also kind of an action sequence. A a genuinely nauseating sequence. It's awesome. Yeah. Uh, But, um, and yeah, and I love where, where Hathaway knocks out and then she's, her arm just suddenly goes like, (laughs) because <laughs> she's no longer in control of her body. Yeah. She's just floating. But now, yeah, now they're triple fucked. Right. Yeah, I'd say triple. I'd upgrade to triple. So the plan now is, okay, we'll just shoot Hathaway yeah. and, the, and the jizz bomb yeah. at Wolf Edmonds. Yes. The last planet. Right. Last we'll, we'll use the gravity from the black hole to do it. Got to leave something behind, though. But in, right, to let her go, everything, the robots have to leave. Yeah. Or what case? I guess Tars goes with her. Sure. Yeah, Tars goes with her. Because you see, no, no, Tars goes with him. So both right. Case goes with Case her. goes with her because yeah. you see Case walking with her right at right. the end there. Yeah, right. they're walking hand in hand. And she thinks McCon. I think she thinks McCon. The coop's going with her, but he's not. And yeah. they have the whole Golly, black hole scene. Behind the black hole scene is where the they lose another fifty years practically slingshotting around it, and then sure. he goes into the black hole. Yes. Okay, now this you love. I fucking love it. No, I do feel like this loses some people. Time box? Uh, yeah, the spade, the library tesseract. I don't uh-huh. know. Yeah. Um, I remember just being so freaked out in the IMAX yeah. by what was going to be in the black hole. Me too. I was shitting bricks. Because there was that th- like goes black. Right. The instruments die. Yeah. And then it's just the screen is black. And then you see this like white dust. Yeah. And you're just like, what the fuck? 
fuck is like you know it's it's really alarming yeah and the science of it to kip thorne and to all these other people is like look we can tell you everything that we know but we don't know what's in a black hole so you can really do whatever you want in there yeah uh and inside it is a time library David I is, think it's so stretching good. his arms like P.T. Barnum showing off his latest attraction. Where he's just falling and suddenly the image of the Tesseract like it appears around him and yeah. the score goes wild again. Yeah. I like it a lot. Oh, God. Well, it's like the entire history of this girl's bedroom, like a card library where he can like start right. to just string through it and find the moment he wants. And he's trying to get his way out of it and he's knocking stuff over right. and- He's making, being a ghost. Right. He's making impacts in the past. Because what has happened here is humans, yes. some future humans, mm-hmm. have created this thing for him to, under, to to communicate with the past. Because gravity is the only thing that goes through black holes. And if we could use gravity to communicate, i.e. by knocking books down or uh, fucking with a uh, watch, mm-hmm. it is theoretically probable that you could communicate through time. Which is cool. Which is fucking great. But then the question is how- gravity and love are intertwined. But then how did the future people create this? I don't know. They're the future. So they just, they're amazing. At some point. At some point, we figured out how to exist in five dimensions. You know, and like- Right, but you want to exist in five dimensions? No, no, I do. But I'm saying is, (laughs) I'm saying is, is that he, he made basically our existence continue- Sure. Right. Right. But that would then say that the future people had uh, an effect on that they period did. of time. So how did they? Okay. Ben, th- ben, I can explain this very simply. Okay. You know, in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Oh, hell yeah. When they don't have the keys mm-hmm. and then Ted's like, wait a second, we have a time machine. Let's just remember that once we're done with this, we go back in time and place the keys here. And then they look and they have the keys suddenly. Oh, okay. Yeah. You know, and they're like, Okay, let's just make sure that we come back and place the keys. And do that later. And that right. happens off screen after the movie's ended. Yeah. <laughs> but you just have to buy that they've remembered to do it, and so it all fits together. They can use whatever technology they have to create the wormhole, to create things, like in the black hole. Which now in the future they know they have to do because it happened because he was there. What they can't do is travel through time. Right. If that but, makes sense. They can't just open a time portal and go to the past and be like, Matthew McConaughey should should try to fly a shuttle yeah. but they can use they can harness us and our connections to each other as these like handshakes through the past mm-hmm. to influence time right and in creating the tesseract for him they've created this like emotional like memory palace mm-hmm. that he'll understand yeah it's pretty tough on him though tough on him uh, but that and that they know his daughter will understand because she understands him like it's She's like smart the, that's right. Like that's the magic of the, and the science coming together rather than the science just being like, well, they make a time machine and like they can move through time. He's trying to understand like, how could you make a time machine using gravitational, like relativistic physics rather than like, look, a phone booth, which is cool. Phone booths are cool. Phone booths yep. are cool. Um, but but is it to suggest then that fate is a thing as well? Because like he's affecting all of the different moments in the past like it's not so much fate as much as it's like i mean like we're fated to be connected to each other i don't like you know like it's not it's not like a i feel like not like a straight time loop thing where it's like that happened because you knew what would happen because you had done it in the future or whatever but you know it's more like he it happened 
like her books are falling off, right? Mm-hmm. right. So it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. But it's not like he knows he has to do it right away. I don't know. Like, you know, we could talk about this in circles for days. We do, but no, but once he's there, he realizes what he has to do is he has to fulfill. He understands the language because he was on the other side of it. Yeah. But yeah. she, but it's more important that she understands. Well, that's it. what he realizes. He that I'm not like the one who is. Her a note. Right, so I'm not the one who was supposed to save the world. She is. And my job he, is just to communicate. All this he to does her. is communicate gravitational equations to her that she that they can only see inside of a black hole, and the only thing that can move through a black hole is gravity. So it's the only way to communicate the equations is through gravity. Right. He can't come out of the black hole and been like, "I found a bunch of cool shit." Uh, he or he can, but when he does, they already know. Mm-hmm. Because uh, he comes out in the future, and she's old, right? And Biff has taken over, and now it's like <laughs> he's running a casino. He's kind of Trump adjacent. Uh, I mean, we should wrap up soon, but yeah, because I gotta go. Uh, but you're waiting for a train. I am waiting for a train, but I can, you know, I can go for another ten minutes. Um, uh, he drops out of the black hole. Comes out of the black hole. It's the future, future. Whoa! And he was picked up by a space station that is much like the one that Brand built. I think there's supposed to be many of them now. Yes. And um, this is Cooper Station. This named is Cooper after Station. Me. No, named after your daughter. Exactly. Oh, real quick though, I do want to say it's awesome that the, you figure out that it was his hand when he goes back through. Yes, yes. Because when he goes through the the black hole further, uh, when the tesseract yeah. closes, he goes through the wormhole and he sees <laughs> yeah. them. Yeah, I love that. Now, can I throw to you? <clears throat> excuse me. Can I throw to you my major complaint about this movie? Uh, sure. Yeah, I think this ending section is rough. Why I do you think, think it's rough? Just because it's fast? Yes, I think this is it a is weird fast. example of a movie that actually needs to be a little longer. Hey, man, if this movie is three and a half hours longer, I'd be pretty happy too. I do think Nolan is also just like. We went through the black hole. The audience is so exhausted by all of that yeah. that we should just wrap it up right here. You know what I mean? Like, I just think there are a lot of ideas no in this end left. section yeah. I find really interesting that are really a bridge. That, really I mean, kind of I think a lot of people had the problem, especially with the scene where fucking Ellen burst and put herself in hypersleep to get to this space station. Yeah. And he's like, he sees her, and it's an overwhelming moment when he sees her on Agreed. the bed. Yes. But then he sits down, and he's like, I was your ghost. And she's like, yeah. And he's like, so what's up with you? And she's like, you should go. <laughs> like, right. I don't like that. <laughs> I, I wish there was longer, but it's hard. Uh, I think that, I, that. I think her closing monologue is great. You know, the thing she's saying when you're cutting to the images of Anne Hathaway. I agree. I think. It's I, fast. I, I want, uh, I want her to die with him by her, her side. I just don't like that she says the. You just hate Ellen Burstyn that much. You just want I her love to Ellen die. Burstyn. No, she's great. <laughs> I've told you my Ellen Burstyn story, right? I don't know. I've been in three projects with Ellen Burstyn. We've never had a scene together, but I've been in three different things with Ellen Burstyn. Which are? Uh, there was an unproduced, uh, or rather, uh, never went to series uh, pilot for Showtime directed by Tim Robbins called Possible Side Effects. That was my first real job. Huh, I never heard. I never knew you did that. Okay. Josh Lucas, Tim Blake Nelson, Ellen Burstyn. It was a good cast. It sure. did not go to series. No. Um, and then uh, Political Animals, which I played Carla Gugino's assistant. Mm-hmm. And she played the matriarch of yeah. the main family in the show, uh, Sigourney Weaver's mother. Yeah. And so we never crossed over. We were totally different plot lines. Right. And then she plays uh, Kevin Costner's mother in Draft Day. That's right. She does. She's pretty good, actually. I think she's very good. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I mean, she often gets handed these very small roles, but she's great. Yeah. Um, she. I ran. I was at a a like screening party thing, and she was there. 
And I went up to her and I was like, hey, you don't know me, but I was. I've been in these things with you. Sure. This was when I had done the first one, maybe, or the first two. And uh, I'm a big fan of your work uh-huh. and this and that. And was talking to her about stuff. And I was like looking for an acting teacher. And I asked her if she had any recommendations. She recommended me this woman, Elizabeth Campbell, who I've worked with for years and is incredible. Mm-hmm. And so on draft day, I was like, I should really go thank her mm-hmm. for that. Mm-hmm. And so I said, hey, you know, you probably don't remember me, but we were in uh, possible side effects yeah, together. Right, right. And she said, I've never been in something called possible side effects. I said, well, okay, even political animals. I said, I don't remember you. And I said, we weren't, we didn't work together, but I saw you at a party once and you recommended Elizabeth Count to me. And she went, oh, thank you. We were in the hair and makeup trailer next to each other. And I uh-huh. said that and she went, oh, thank you. And then I went back to talking to my hair and makeup guy. And I'm like chatty. I'm a chatty person. Yeah. And so I'm talking to the hair and makeup guy. And after like two minutes, she went, Griffin. And I said, yeah. And she went, try silence. Wow. Oof. That's so scary. I got shut the fuck down by She did not want Ellen you talking. Bursting. Woo. And then there was like silence for five minutes. And she was like, I, I'm sorry. I'm just trying to run my lines. And I was like, no, it's fine. Miss Burston is fine. Oh, my God. That's amazing. I can't believe that's the greatest story. I can't believe it. That's intense, right? Oh, my God. That's that's now her best moment after Alice doesn't live here anymore. She, she beat silence. it. 84-year-old Academy Award winner Ellen Burson told you to shut the fuck up. Probably one of my 10 favorite actors of all I time. I should say to, to you, try up. silence now. Yeah. That'll be the new bit. Griffin, yeah. try silence. Try silence. Uh, he goes off to see Anne Hathaway, yeah. who is on... Wolf Edmonds. Wolf Edmonds is dead, mm-hmm. but he's on his planet, and she's settling down for the long nap. Looks good. Looks with like her a good bomb. planet. Real looks good nice. Planet. Looks sort of Marsy. I like that his old house is a museum that they let him move into. Uh, see, that's right. See, this is like I want that scene with Tars where he revives him is fantastic. I love yeah. it, and I like him sitting on the porch with Tars. I like this whole thing of like McConaughey now not knowing where he belongs, like being stuck between two worlds. I kind of want him to be by her side when she dies and then to have a section of the movie for like 10 minutes of him not knowing where to go before he goes off to Brand. Because yeah. it, the idea I like is that like Brand's the only person he's ever going to be able to talk to for the rest of his life. Right. No one else is going to fucking no, get no. what Everyone else for. grew up on space stations. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, but it just feels rushed to me. I feel like it doesn't emotionally... That's fine. I think land. that's a fair... Yeah. I mean, I think... Yeah, that's I mean, fair. they don't even really explain the space stations, which are so cool. They are yeah. based on real theoretical, like, things. Yeah. But they don't give us enough of that. Because, they're these, again, they're, they're just these, like, uh, we got to wrap Centrifuges. This up. Yeah. Uh, I, I think the yeah. movie just needs, like, another 10 minutes. Yeah. Well, here's what I think the movie needs. What? You ready? Yeah. Sequel. Interstellar 2. There's plenty of space for a sequel. Into Stellar? Into Stellar. He goes to Wolf Edmonds. There's all kinds of bullshit you can do. Life on Wolf Edmonds with Anne Hathaway. Nolan would never do it, right? No, of course not. But I mean, and I think he really feels like the emotional journey is completed at the end of the, you know, like he's, he's told his story, but I I would see Interstellar too. I don't like that he leaves her and that he doesn't even meet the rest of her family. Like he walks in the room, they're like, here's all our family, here's all our kids. I know. He just goes straight to her. She's like, no one should watch their child die. And he's like, okay, cool, good point, peace out. And I, just leaves. I agree with you about the cleanness of it, but I also think you already said it's like he is, he's like a an alien to these people. Yeah. And he can't deal with that. Yeah. But anyway, we have to play the box office game. Okay. And then you have to catch a train. Yeah, I got it. I'm waiting for a train. 
Number one, this is November 7th, 2014. It's Big Hero 6, which opened to 56 million. Mopped the floor. uh, When Interstellar opened to 47 million at number two. Wiped the floor with Interstellar. Uh, Big Hero 6 is a movie I saw in theaters and I had a pretty nice time with, and I've never really thought much about it since. I've never heard of it. What are the. There were five others before this? No. (laughs) Great joke. 50 comedy points. It won the Oscar. It did. Uh, Oddly. Oddly. Uh, it's I, not a bad movie. It's it's, it's sweet. It's totally yeah. fine. Uh, I'm going to stick with my same review when uh, I had when it came out. Uh, Big Hero Six, more like Big Hero Two, because only two of those characters you care about. Uh, I would say like more like Big Hero Six point five out of ten. I'm not uh, saying six point five. I know, out of 10. I know. I know. I'm saying only two out of the six characters. Craziest thing are is written. Big Hero Six grosses less worldwide than Interstellar. Interesting, but more domestically. More domestically, yes. Okay. Uh, number three at the box office is a. Huge hit of the fall, uh, an R-rated thriller, kind of like drama thriller, uh, that has made in six weeks one hundred and forty-five million dollars and just went up from four to three. It's so it's like twist. really sticking around. It's got it a is bit of a twist. A to great it. movie. Uh, is an Oscar play movie. It was kind of an Oscar play, but it only ended up with like two nominations. Gone Girl, correct movie. I love. Great movie. We should do Fincher. I know it would be as obvious as doing Nolan, but it would be so much fun. We'll do. We just got to do a couple weird people in between, but then we'll do Fincher. Number four is a horror movie that opened number one the week before that is pretty bad, uh, but the sequel was really great. I think the sequel came out this year. Uh, Ouija? Ouija. I still haven't seen Ouija 2. Origin of Evil? Is that yeah, I, I dug Ouija 2. It looked so good, and I just missed it. It was like when I was working, and I 40, wanted to. Yeah. 43 million it's made in three weeks. Mm-hmm. It was number one for two weeks in a row. Yeah. Uh, number five is a movie people really have already forgotten about, which I don't like at all. I think you liked it a little more. It's a war movie. Like a really, real dirty war movie. Oh, I don't like this movie. Oh, you don't? Much. Okay, okay. I think it's. I, I think it's kind of well made I think the first chunk of it's pretty solid I think it totally falls apart Fury Fury the David Ayer yeah. movie yeah uh, in which World War 2 is twisted <laughs> twisted I mean you might like it because it these actors they dirty it's one of the oh, dirtiest fucking okay, it's okay the, I think David Ayer was like put some dirt on him they put dirt on me he's like great now put some grease on him <laughs> oof alright grease him up there's also that story where like Shia LaBeouf was in the makeup trailer with Logan Lerman. And he's like, huh, what, kid, they're putting dirt on your face, huh? Is that all you're doing? And he's like, uh, yeah, it's makeup. And Shia LaBeouf apparently took out a knife and cut his face and was like, this is how you act. You got to live it. Well, he learned all that knife work. What a nice yeah. guy. Yeah, what a nice boy. <laughs> uh, you're right. Uh, thank you. Uh, number six is St. Vincent. Not a good movie. Uh, no, you got Nightcrawler. Oh, come on. A good movie. I, don't I like St. Vincent. Oh, okay. I find St. Vincent. Uh, John Wick is sort of hanging out on the way to its nice run. It's in the middle of its nice run. Yeah, I'm thinking he's back. Uh, <laughs> Alexander and the Terrible Horrible, no good, very bad day is beginning its Oscar run. <laughs> it's a platforming. Uh, that movie made $66 million. Directed by Miguel Arteta. Uh, no, no, it was directed by Ingmar Bergman. Uh, the Book <laughs> of Life, uh, the animated uh, Day of the Dead movie. Yes. Um, Birdman is uh, platforming in there. Actually, the is platforming. Worst film of 2014. <laughs> it's pretty bad. Uh, the Judge is at number 12. Oh, wow. I just said the worst film of 2014. Now, <laughs> the Judge is worst. 
Uh, yeah, no, yes, the judge, the judge is way worse. worse. The judge is worse. Uh, the judge you is got worse. the Maze Runner, Dracula Untold. Some fun ones. Yeah. Guardians of the Galaxy is still in there. It's November. I know it came out in August, but yeah. still, that's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy made $419,000 that weekend. And Not it's 15th week. Too shabby. <sighs> what a great movie. Well, Interstellar, it's David's favorite movie ever. He wants to marry it. Yeah, I'd marry it. I would do it. So I know you have to go. Sure. I just wanted to share Please share. Final Please share. I'm just going back about thought. this movie. Okay. Uh, so my takeaway is I think that this is Nolan's metaphor uh, for Velcro in the background yeah, as David. No, as David like is very much leaving. packs a bag. Um, I think it's like a metaphor for the artists creating art and the sacrifice that they have to make. Like For sure. F- yeah. Like We should Regarding their family. Like I, I would agree with that. If you think of all these like artists and geniuses over time they have always if they have a family treated them like garbage yeah and i think that this is like a movie that really illustrates that in a really amazing way i agree that's also what the toy story trilogy is about that's why i like it so much i can't wait for you to treat your family like garbage uh to make blank check uh and ben well yes my dad he thinks i'm already doing that (laughs) come on you don't see your dad ray centauri friend of the podcast a uh, good friend of mine, uh, last night, from when we were recording, was the Tick premiere. Uh-huh. Yes. And uh, Ray went up to him and, and was talking about how much he likes the podcast and apparently uh, told my father some of the things I've said mm. about mm. my father on the Wait, podcast. Wait, have you mentioned? I thought we cut the... Oh, no, we already had this discussion. Oh, I shared this with Peter. I said, it's a little bit of my fault because I was supposed to cut it out mm. and I did not. Ben did say that's my father, which is how Ben met my father. <laughs> And that's the premise of the new CBS sitcom in September, How Ben Met Your Father. (laughs) (laughs) I had to. I had to lay it up. Great work. Uh, Well, that has been Interstellar. Tune in next week for the finale of our- Dunkirk. Yeah. Maybe bonus. Maybe bonus. We're still talking about it. Yeah. We should talk about that off mic. But uh, but, uh, Griffin's going to go to Australia, and I'm going to go to the Hudson Valley. (laughs) Very similar. (laughs) Yeah. Um, please remember to rate, review, subscribe. Big thanks to Andrew Gouda for running our social media accounts, for Liam Montgomery for doing the theme song, Pat Reynolds and Joe Bowen for the artwork. Mm-hmm. Check out our subreddit, uh, blankysubreddit.com, for some real nerdy shit. Yep. And as always, I'm just going to go to sleep. I'm gonna, you're going to leave, and <laughs> I'm gonna literally going to go to sleep here right here in the recording yep. studio. Yep. I am done. I am finished. Okay, this is going to be rough. Gilbert Cruz suggested Rage Against the Dying of the Podcast. That was that was one of his. Well, but... don't, I mean, I was going to. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. I mean, I, is, is it too much? Go on. What, what? Is it an easy layup to just do Kane again? Do you know what I'm saying? I mean, like, I it's almost... an easy layup, but it's, that doesn't mean layups are two points. But like, I've always, you know? Sure, sure. <laughs> I've always had a hard time doing a McConaughey, and especially with my voice sounding like this today. I don't know if it'll make it easier or harder. What would be the McConaughey line? Like, it's weird. This used is... to look up at the sky. Yeah, I can't do it. No, dude, just do Kane. It's fine. Yeah, okay. Let me... Boy, this could be even worse than last time. Do not go gentle into that good night. Old age should burn and rave a... Cl- I can't... What the fuck am I doing? <laughs> no, it's great. It's okay. great. Okay, let me try it again. Let me try it again. <laughs> let me try it again. <clears throat> do not... Go gentle into that good night. Old age should I? I'm I'm fucking up the word. Okay, third third take. Third take. <laughs> so, I'm trying to pinpoint what it is. Day not. <laughs> <laughs>
Okay, Jay, Jay. It is something about the way you do it. Mike, okay. Mike, okay. 